Well, you said it, Chewy. Where did you dig up that old fossil? It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about, fin it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and are dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's, a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention of it. Well, welcome back to Generation Skywalker's Those Old Fossils, Episode 15, Vintage Star Wars Collecting. And who am I joined by? I'm delighted tonight to be joined by Craig Spivey. Hello, Craig. How are you doing? Hello, Jess. I'm doing good. Good. Stuart? Evening, mate. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Things are, things are very good. How about you? All good, mate. All good. Looking forward to uh, sitting back and letting... You do everything. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to your content tonight and your opinions and your thoughts on some of the characters we're going to cover. But we're not doing it just as a threesome. I'm over the moon to be joined by Lee Bullock this evening. Lee, welcome back to Generation Skywalker. How are you? Thank you, Jazz. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be back among my esteemed friends. Good stuff. Good stuff, mate. We love having you with us. It's been brilliant having you with us along the journey. And in fact, on your last episode, I can't remember, that must have been those old fossils, episode eight or something like that, when you were really good discussion on reproduction, uh, repros and resales went down really well. Yeah, I remember that. That was a pretty heavy duty discussion, that was. <laughs> good stuff. Lee, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. Still keeping going, trying to navigate the um, horrendously hot weather we've had. Just uh, trying to survive that without without turning into uh, the usual grump that I am, basically. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good, mate. I'm doing good. Good stuff. For our international listeners, 
absolutely a British podcast and it was less than two minutes before we started talking about the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Those old fossils focusing primarily on the four figures, four figures which we focus about on each episode. They've been announced on the previous episode. We're going to go through four now. And then at the end of this episode, we're going to announce next month's figures. This will be a day long remembered. It has seen the end of Kenobi and will soon see the end of the rebellion. So this is a fairly new format for us, or this is a brand new format for us. Stu, there's been a reasonable amount of feedback. Yeah, so obviously, Jez, you, you've kind of rebranded those old fossils. You've gone back to, Joe. You know what? early shows are brilliant, but we kind of had moved away from the toys and i think when you talk to people 95 percent of vintage collectors are about the toys and so you've gone back you've reshaped it we've got this four figure focus and i I just think i mean our numbers okay i can say this i'm not sure i've shared this with any of you lot but i could tell you that the numbers for that show are for the first month are probably double what the previous old fossils were so you know people are engaging with it i think Getting the guests on is a great shout. Broadens that you, you had so many experts on. I think the interview with Matt George alone, without any of the other brilliant people you had on there, but Matt George alone, his section was absolutely fascinating to listen to. He knew his his product. He knew that figure so well, the Obi One, and that that's before going into the other characters. I th- I thought it was a was a great thing. I think and I think that was shared. There was people sharing. I'm just trying to uh, scroll through now. Should have done this pre. Uh, pre-show but that's such his life but um i haven't had a chance to watch the enhanced yet but i'm pretty sure that is a stunning job and the people that are on there i think it was matt george actually had sent uh, a message to you jez message after the message Here you go. Lads, phenomenal work on the episode. Just superb. The YouTube video was stunning work. Please pass along my kudos to Mr. Spivey. Thank you for allowing me to be part of it. Uh, That was from Matt. I think it's the time and the effort, the passion, the style and the quality, the panache which Craig puts into the YouTube videos. These aren't just sort of shaky cam stuff. It's just all good quality content. The 99% of the feedback which I've had is being incredibly positive. Everyone just saying it's great to be focusing on the figures, but we are, and I'll talk about the other 1% in a second, but you know, we, we say all eras, all passions, all Star Wars, and a lot of the other stuff which we focused on over the last couple of years has been elements of Beyond the Toys in various different areas, but we can still do that. We will still absolutely do that as part of each figure. And you know, so nothing is off the table. Everything is an option. And uh, we're going to be covering whatever we can. The one point of constructive criticism which I had, Pally Fan on Star Wars Forum UK sent me a message. And it was really, really positive about, again, the return to, to the figures and his big passion. But his, uh, his observation was the same volume. So, yeah, that's entirely on me as, uh, as the editor of that. So I need to try and boost the volume. And I will make sure that this... this uh, months one is is better so thank you ever so much for that and i do i do really really take any points on board we shall double our efforts 
I hope so, Commander, for your sake. The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And it was great to have Ron Salvatore back on board. Absolutely loved working with Ron and Chris as part of the uh, the Rebel Alliance when we were on TVR. And it, it's great to have Ron Salvatore back on board, giving us his uh, expert knowledge and his sort of dive into the Star Wars Collector's archive. And one thing in particular, I've said it several times already, all eras, all passions, all Star Wars, you know, the variant villains, what the guys have been adding and what they're going to be adding tonight this is their passion and it's really interesting from the different factories you know we look at genealogy or the study of you know, family trees and ancestry and, and they're looking at that from a very point of view in the factories and in fact we're going to go straight to the variant villains now just to give us a very brief sort of two minutes intro on uh, country of origin Hi everybody, it's Mark from Variant Villains here, and uh, we're joined today by Jamie and Tom. All right, so today uh, Jez and the Generation Skullwalker team have asked us to speak about another four characters, Walrus Man, Biker Scout, Popper Bartu, and Rebel Soldier. Before we get started on those characters, I'd like to talk a little bit about COOs. COOs, one of those things that uh, can be a bit scary for newer collectors coming through. What's it all about? COO is an acronym for country of origin, where the figure was produced. On the back of figures that were play sets, et cetera, et cetera, there, there was a stamp into the molds themselves. And each one of those would denote where it was made, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Macau. What we can tell by looking at those, you can see looking at the letters, looking at the position of the of where it was stamped on the leg, by the number of lines that we used to write the words, made in Hong Kong, three line, four line, two line. You can tell where this figure was produced. And that's a way of us tracing back to the source of a particular figure. With the various COOs, you can see quite often on the on the charts that we produce that Wolf's been doing for years and we've done some more than the Jedi line recently, there's quite often they come in pairs or triplets or even quadruples in some uh, cases. So if you have two COOs in one of our graphics, each leg was in a different cavity in the mold. So two COOs, one mold family. That's the basis for how we construct the COO sheets. On the other leg, there is a copyright and date stamp. Now that relates to the patent. So this wasn't when the figure was made. It was when the actual, the character itself was patented by Lucasfilm. And that's the original date that carried through. So you would have a, a 1977 figure that could be produced in 1985. And that's totally fine because it pertains to the copyright. In the case of figures that had no coup, they were later produced where there was a change of policy regarding the COOs. So um, a lot of the figures in the Jedi, early Jedi line and through to, you know, Trilogo, Power of the Force, they all had COOs that had been scratched out. Figures that went to far and away lands such as Spain and Mexico, they also had 
the COOs scratched that because obviously, you know, they were no longer produced in Hong Kong. They were produced in Spain or Mexico or wherever it may be. Okay, with that, hopefully that's enough information to help people along that might be a little bit confused by some of the terminology that we'll be going through tonight. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much for that, lads. Right then, let's get on to it. The four figures for this month. Walrus Man, also known as Ponder Barber, in universe is the male Aqualish who gets in an argument with Luke in the cantina and loses his arm for the trouble. Uh, it was portrayed by an actor called Tommy Isley and the character is reprised in Rogue One which is obviously set before A New Hope. Uh, what, I, what actually was quite interesting, and I was doing a little bit of reading about this, is that prior to the final shooting of the cantina scene, the raw footage that was done in the in the actual UK actually had Walrus Man's head decapitated, not his arm removed. And I actually was able to track down some of the footage to that. And then they decided to get rid of the idea of a decapitation. They went for the arm removal, but with the flippers, and then decided, once they got to, to America for the reshoot, they decided to use the Wolfman hand. So in the end of it, you actually uh, can consider Walrus Man to have one hand that's a flipper and the other hand that's a, uh, that's a Wolfman's hand. So it got all very confusing from what I can see in the, in the filming of it. And um, I think that tra probably translated quite well into what Kenner's figure ended up being like, because that is incredibly confused. Because it looks like as if it's wearing a uh, 1970s disco outfit. And um, it's got flippers for feet. So that them are my initial thoughts on Walrus Man. When I was a kid, it was a figure that I wasn't really interested in. I didn't like the card art. I thought the figure looked really goofy. And yeah, compared to like Greedo and Hammerhead, didn't really cut the mustard with me. He doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. Right. So many things there to unpick. The decapitation, never heard of that before. Yeah. What about the rest of you? I knew about the different hands. I mean, they, they tried to retcon that, didn't they? With <laughs> different, they were from different parts of the planet. So you get two types of aquilish, one with the paddle hands and one with the, with the clawed hands. But uh, I'm not sure about that. The decapitation sounds a bit extreme to me. Yeah, I actually tracked down some footage of this and it's on YouTube and it looks really hokey. It really does. <laughs> and, and you can understand why they decided, well, yeah, maybe we'll we'll go for the arm amputation rather than the decapitation so well, yeah it's very interesting to see there's a uh, little quick edit for the enhance there craig wink wink yeah, nudge yeah, nudge send me the link to that <laughs> yeah i'll send you a link up for that brilliant 
Now, you said about, you know, childhood-wise, wasn't so much of a fan. Now, from my point of view, you, you said, you know, card art turned you off. We're going to come on to the card art shortly. But from my point of view, growing up, one of the rarest figures out there. You just couldn't get it. It was, I, I knew one person who had a Horus Man. They just didn't seem to be available. Yeah, I I, I didn't find Walrus Man a particularly difficult figure to, to track down at the time. I always remember the most difficult figure to track down, and I never saw it at retail, was the original White Layer. Walrus Man was, was never particularly a difficult one, from my perspective, to track down. It's, um, I just I just kind of felt it was really underwhelming, you know, and it's, it's a shame, thing. really. It's brilliant. They're the four best cat figures in the whole of the first 21. Uh, you see, you see, I totally agree with you about Greedo and Hammerhead and to a certain extent Snaggletooth. But Walrus Man, I don't know, doesn't do anything for me. It's a shame, really. I suppose because it, it looks absolutely nothing like the character in the movie. And, and in some ways that shouldn't bother me because of the 70s aesthetic kind of fits in with with that kind of early star wars things are not are not quite accurate it's kind of what i call marvelized and i kind of like that that marvelized star wars aesthetic but for some reason it doesn't quite land the design of that figure just doesn't quite land with me <laughs> all right i mean let's be honest as as children and I, I, didn't, I never had him as a kid, but my friend did. But it did elicit a lot of sniggering because his face does look like a bum. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. I, I didn't want to go into this, <laughs> Craig. You know, but uh, you know, I was, I was going to take the high road here, but no. Uh, let's no. address the elephant in the room. That's <laughs> the elephant in the room, or the elephant's bum in the room. <laughs> all right, sweet cheeks. We all had a drink. I always think the um, obviously you're going to get interference in a minute, but the pink tusk one, which makes the bum look even pinker, always reminds me of hyena's bottom. Do you know when they always look red and raw, like they've not wiped it for a few months? Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your edit, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just slightly distracted at the moment because something's just occurred to me. I'm, I'm looking at my loose collection now. It's right in front of me. And naturally, as you can imagine, I've got my four sort of cantina figures together. And I'm just thinking there's four of us on the call tonight. And, you know, all jokes I'm, aside, I'm... I know that if we were looking at it and saying, right, who's who? And everyone would naturally say Stuart Snaggletooth. But let, let's not go there. So... Who would be whatever character, you know? Who, who would be Greedo? Who would be Warus Man? Who would be Hammerhead? Who would be Snaggletooth? I'm well, definitely going... Hammerhead. I'm, oh, I'm, <laughs> I was going to go for Greedo, mate, you know? I've got the dashing good looks, the green skin. That'll do me. Right, okay. Sorry, Stu? I'm sorry to say it, Chess, but you are old bum face. No, I knew you you'd old. say that. <laughs> in fact, in my head, I was just thinking, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, but you did ask. Yeah, well, and it so is the obvious match. What about what about Craig and, and Stu then? What 
you know, who, who's going with who? And obviously that's just one opinion. So it, it could be that Craig says, no, I'm definitely Greedo. So um, Craig, what are your thoughts, buddy? You know, I, I like Hammerhead's depiction in the in the Legends Expanded Universe as this sort of botanist hippie. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the cantina's there to show this underbelly, all these sinister characters, but the, the you know, the EU writers chose to, to, chose to um, portray him as um, quite the pacifist. Okay, uh, I quite so, like that. <laughs> so are we actually saying then that Stu is Snaggletooth after all that? He is the cutest of the four figures. Sort of makes sense. Little scrappy do at the bar. So I've yeah, just realized, <laughs> I've just realised that I'm the bumbling underachiever. <laughs> so I was looking at the character just now. We're going totally off track already, but from a Hammerhead point of view, you know, you just think about it in the movie, and he is just there in the bar, just at the back, making that sort of hammerhead sound. But you, you just think to yourself, what conversations is he having? He's just in the back of the bar, probably a real cerebral character, just doing this, doing that. And that's why I did think, Craig, yes, you are yeah. hammerhead. You are I'll there take- in the bar. You, you're not there for a scrap. You're not a bounty hunter. You're not doing this, that, and the other. You're just there, soaking it all in. And you've left, having had a drink, not losing your arm, and not being shot in the gut. So, yeah. um, you know, with, winning with in all respects. On. Sorry? With my blue leotard on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or looking like me. Bubble yeah. face. The punchy one, Jez. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you say that. The, um, that is the greatest ever sketch from um, Robot Chicken, isn't it? Is when Dr. Eves and Warus Man's going, oh, no, 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 I didn't say that. And Dr. Eves is going, yeah, he doesn't like you. And he's like... No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. He gets his arm cut off. He's like, it is the greatest sketch of all of them. Drink ain't gonna kill ya. Like, I'm really gonna eat a bunch of bananas after that? (laughs) He doesn't like you. Sorry. I don't like you either. You better watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. Gee, Panda, I just don't see how you can keep designing with no drawing arm. I'm sorry, but we have to let you go. Ah, that's a nice little sidebar, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about when this fella came out then. Came out on the uh, second releases on the uh, 20 backs. Kenner, out on the 20 backs. Various, you're talking the B's, the E's, the G's, the J's, then onto the 21's, going through all the different ranges, onto the ESB's and Return of a Jedi. No Power of the Force. Again, also came out, it's Palatoy, Kenna Canada, Meccano, so the French release, Clipper, so the Belgium, and the General Mills in Germany, and also the Harbour, the beautiful Harbour uh, from Italy. So, yeah, huge range, but still, yeah, surprisingly, I did find it pretty difficult to get a hold of. So the Cardar, you've already mentioned it. Go on, let's fire away. Yeah. <laughs> I think the card art is uh, a little lazy, and I think it's a, I think they had a real good opportunity to have a very dynamic 
and really powerful shot there and he's just decided to go with this over airbrushed overworked uh, image i think it's great if you're collecting 2d stuff and you you know and you're, and you're buying um the prototypes of the original card art all the original airbrushing on but in terms of an actual card back i think it's it was it, it was it was one of the messies of the early card art why did they do it because Everyone else has a photo. I mean, they, they took Snaggletooth's photo from the holiday special. But Warus Man has so many, has has a lot of screen time. You can't tell me they couldn't find a shot of him when they have of those other characters. Yeah, there's so many action shots as well, you know. And it's it's a real shame. Perhaps, perhaps it was a case of the fact that Dr. Everzan was always in the background or Luke was in the background. But again, these things can be airbrushed out just not to the extent that they did with that one yeah it probably has its roots in a still and they just sort of went a bit too far with it yeah yeah i was going to come to you craig as our artistic you know the our designer what are your thoughts on this yeah i mean it's i mean kenneth lucasfilm seem to be pretty good at supplying the imagery so you'd think if there was a decent shot they would have kenneth would have had that to work from so yeah, I can only assume that it, yeah, it was quite a dark scene, but there are there are stills out there. We've seen them, or maybe they've come to light since. But you know, my my suspicion is that it we it probably did start off as a as an actual photograph, and then we'll, we'll just we'll take the background out, and then we'll just highlight this, and we'll just make that a bit more detailed, and and eventually it sort of got to the point where it stopped being a photograph and and is an illustration. Unlike unlike the Anakin one, which is you can tell is just an illustration. You know, and this. They needed to crop it in. They needed to make it just the torso because the arms and everything else are so far away from the actual in-film character, aren't they? That it's like, mm. hang on a second, what can we do here? The, my issue now, which I can't get round, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to share this. You know, we've already spoken about you know sweet cheeks or bum face, but to me, looking at that now, it's almost looking like there's actually a, a pair of something else coming out of his mouth at the moment, not necessarily a bottom. But maybe that's for another podcast. Testicles. Um. <laughs> I think what's one of the interesting things is um, I've just had a, a, a cheeky little look on the Star Wars Collector's Archive and the original photo art is on there. I've just put it in our chat. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And, and um, I've put the, the shot of the actual movie where it's taken from so you can see it. Yeah. And it, it, what it looks like, there's a, I think, I think part of the problem is is that there is in the foreground there are there are a series of, uh, of glasses and containers that are obscuring the figure and you've got some Muftak is it Muftak no it's Chandra Fan see God I'm so sad that I know these names <laughs> the little fella he's beckoning yeah, for some the drinks fella is down the bottom Cape Cape yeah Cape yeah yeah, yeah. drinking out of uh, out of a vessel down the bottom and I think a lot of it was to remove the bartender, all these things out of the foreground. Sorry about the mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed, completely agree. Bit of a weird one. Personally, I think the Palatoy logo on this makes all the difference and really does make it look like a cracking card. I would certainly never turn one down with the Palatoy card. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. And, you know, we spoke about there isn't one on Power of the Force. 
However, when you sort of delve into Star Wars archive, Star Wars collector's archive, there is something in there which does show this photo art for the Warrus Man action figure blister card. And it did say, Kenner even created Power of the Force Warrus Man for their final series of figures. However, it was never officially released during the series. Hmm, interesting. Never officially released. Power of the Force Warrus Man. However, you click on the link and it's broken. I think now is a great time for us to move over to our good friend, Ron Salvatore, the Rebel Alliance, to give us his opinion on Old Warrus Man. Over to you, Ron. You are part of the Rebel Alliance. Hi everyone, this is Ron Salvatore of the Star Wars Collector's Archive, and I'm here to talk about Walrus Man, everyone's favorite action figure based on a walrus. First things first, can we please stop referring to this figure as Wally? I don't know where this started. I certainly don't know why it started, but it's bad. I cringe every time I hear it. So please, please, please stop saying Wally. I'd like to stop cringing. Here ends this public service announcement. Wally, I mean Walrus Man, was part of the third wave of figures released by Kenner. The first wave consisted of nine figures that hit in late winter of 1978. That was followed a couple of months later by a three-figure wave consisting of Death Squad Commander, Jawa, and Tusken Raider. And then there was Walrus Man's wave, which hit in the fall of 1978. I should specify that I'm talking about American releases here. I'm not sure when other localities got these figures, probably somewhat later. Anyway, the other figures in the Walrus Man wave represented additional creatures from the Moss Eisley Cantina, specifically Hammerhead, Greedo, and Snaggletooth. At the time they were released, these figures were exclusive to Sears. The retailers sold them along with a cheap cardboard backdrop marketed as the Cantina Adventure Set. Here's the marketing copy. Recreate the bizarre adventures and create new ones with four fully posable plastic figures. Greedo, Snaggletooth, Hammerhead, and Walrus Man. Graphics depict various characters and activity outside the Cantina, ages four and up. Note that the copy specifies that the playset depicts the Cantina's exterior. Kenner was already developing a playset based on the bar's interior, best not to undermine a future product. The set came in an attractive graphical box, one of my favorites in the Kenner line. It contained the backdrop and two white mailer boxes, one containing Greedo and Snaggletooth, the other Hammerhead and R. Fred Walrus Man. You could also order each pair of figures separately from the backdrop. They came in the aforementioned white mailer boxes. Few collectors realized that Sears actually offered the Cantina Adventure set through the holiday season of 1979 so two full holiday seasons. That's why some versions can be found with the later red version of Snaggletooth. By that time, of course, the four Cantina figures were widely available on cards along with Luke X-Wing and the other 20-back figures. In terms of design, Walrus Man was, like the other figures in his wave, pretty movie inaccurate. He's wearing what appears to be a turtleneck onesie of some kind, and his feet are, somehow, both boots and flippers. By the way, have you ever wondered why the four Cantina figures released in 1978 were so totally inaccurate? The standard line on this is that Kenner's reference material was limited to photos of the characters' masks, and so their costumes were just... made up. I'm sure the story is accurate, at least to some degree, but it's peculiar. Surely Lucasfilm had better material on these characters? Why didn't they provide it? Why didn't Kenner demand it? In the case of Greedo, his costume can be seen pretty clearly in the movie itself. What gives? In the end, Lucasfilm forced Kenner to change Snaggletooth, but not the other Cantina figures. But even the updated Snaggletooth doesn't match anything official. It's peculiar. 
The inaccuracy is probably a source of annoyance to those who prize authenticity. But me, I kind of value the strangeness of the four cantina aliens. They're weird and oh so very 70s. Inaccuracy did not affect the photo art that Kenner used for the Walrus Man blister card. It showed the character dressed in the orangish jacket that he wears in the movie. In fact, the image was derived from a set photo supplied to Kenner by Lucasfilm. For years it was assumed the Walrus Man card image was almost entirely the work of an airbrush artist. In fact, the image is indeed photographic. It was merely accentuated using airbrush. By the way, you can see the photo art and the source photo on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. I mentioned that in the movie, Walrus Man's jacket was orange in color. That's probably why the figure's onesie is orange. It's also probably why an early prototype of the figure was more orange in color than was the figure that was eventually released. The whole torso, part of the legs, and most of the arms, all orange. This prototype also featured brown rather than blue pants. A figure sporting this coloration appears in some early promotional images. One such image is found in Palatoy's 1979 wholesale catalog. This photo also shows some very interesting mock-up figures, including a Death Star droid that features a head culled from a Praying Mantis model kit. The body is a repainted C-3PO. The figure is one of the few conceptual figures to surface from the vintage line. It can be seen, once again, on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. As far as I know, no examples of Walrus Man featuring the early color scheme are known to exist. A painted proto-molded example exists, but it looks pretty much just like the production figure. Since we're talking about pre-production material, I should mention that the original wax sculpt for Walrus Man is still out there. You can see it, as well as the original invoice generated by the sculptor, in the terrific book Engineering an Empire. By the way, I took the photograph of that sculpt, not bragging or anything. According to the aforementioned invoice, the sculptor, Armando Baeza, received $2,500 for producing the sculpt. These days, it's worth a lot more than that. In creating the sculpt for Walrus Man, Baeza worked from a two-dimensional plan, or turnaround, created by a Kenner designer. Again, you can see a blueprint made of that turnaround for Walrus Man on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. Come to think of it, it's sort of interesting that the turnaround does not feature webbed feet. Those must have been a later modification. At least one hard copy of Walrus Man also exists. It's made of Carbolon, a brown-colored urethane material. Hard copies are models of a figure created before the generation of production tooling. They are poured out of molds taken from the original sculpt. They're about as close as you can get to a sculpt without actually getting there. I believe only that one hard copy exists for Walrus Man, making it a very valuable item. Of course, after Sears released Walrus Man in the fall of 1978, the figure appeared on a blister card as part of the 20-back wave and remained in the line through 1984. Although slated for release on the Power of the Force line, the release never happened. The line was cancelled, leaving Power of the Force proof cards among the few Walrus Man relics of that era. Not even the creature's Power of the Force coin shows our friend Walrus Man. It shows Greedo, Snaggletooth, and Hammerhead, but no Walrus Man. What gives, Kenner? Well, that's about all I have to say on Walrus Man. I said a lot about the figure, over six minutes, and I didn't even mention that he has a butt for a mouth. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. They're more dangerous than you realize. Plenty of information from Ron, including all pre-production stuff, and, indeed, a butt for a mouth. So from a pre-production point of view, yeah, Star Wars Collector's Archive is just rammed with stuff so you look at it they've got uncut proof cards so you can actually see the uh, power of the force what that would have looked like so the uncut 
power of the force proof sheet so that's with an fx7 with a power droid and with a leah bush so that's that's a really exceptional piece yeah they've got the uh photo art which we've already spoken about and warus man action figure blueprints so the original sort of kenner designs of what these things are actually going to look like but one of the most fantastic pieces is the white cape bib fortuna carded sample so this is them getting ready getting the bib fortuna prototype ready it's on an empire strikes back warus man card but the process of them sort of starting to produce figures for the return of a jedi i mean this thing is incredible so a white cape bib fortuna carded sample card with warus man i mean goodness knows or something like that would fetch nowadays so yeah star wars collectors archive absolutely brilliant all loving it and i'm loving what ron is also telling us about the cantina adventure set versus the creature cantina set i had no idea i hadn't seen this one before the series exclusive cantina adventure set two different sets for your collecting if you're lucky get them in a multi-pack so we've got the uh the the two packs there as well but also special nine figure set as well so all various different things which you can see on the collector's archive so let's face it if you're a warus man collector Oh yeah, you've uh, you've you've got your job set out there for you. So uh, good luck with that. Just the other day, I had an absolutely great time having a chat with a good friend of the show, Alex Party, where we discussed all things Warus Man and his cantina focus. Hello there. Come here, my little friend. Don't be afraid. Alex, thank you ever so much for joining me on this Sunday morning. I'm, I'm delighted that you've uh, joined the call. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a good place right now, so I'm very happy. And uh, this was an excellent opportunity for me to pull out my cantina stuff, which has been buried in my closet now for a while. So uh, this has been actually kind of eye-opening and fun for me as well to prepare for this. Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. It's, it's great to have you on. And where, just remind me, I've, now I've done a little bit of Facebook stalking, I've done a little bit of internet stalking and stuff, and it mentions California. Are you, you, is that where you are at the moment? Where? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to live in the Monterey area, 15 minutes away from the ocean, in a beautiful little sunbelt where, I mean, it's, it's, every day is the same. There's never a cloud in the sky, and it's sunny, and it's, it's pretty obnoxious, to be perfectly. It's, it's like Hawaii here. Uh, for us, an exotic day is a gray overcast day. That's like, whoa, uh, maybe it's going to rain. It never rains here. I think we import all our water and somehow uh, everything looks green and beautiful. I don't know how sustainable it is, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I live in paradise. I'm very, very blessed and fortunate. Brilliant. Oh, no, good for you. Good for you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm loving that. 
as I said, I did a little bit of sort of internet stalking earlier on. I had a little look on, on Instagram and I had a little look primarily on the 12 bag group. So the Star Wars 12 back and early vintage collectors group. And um, I was able to harvest quite a bit about you, Alex, and, and about what you collect <laughs> and about what you like. Um, because it, it certainly occurs to me that, you, you know, you're you're someone. I, I, I think, you know, you and I have got a lot in common. I, I, uh, I looked at your... Um, Instagram feed and your the very first post which you had on Instagram as I was doing my snooping was a uh, it was a non-Star Wars picture and it was actually a shot from behind a sniper who just broken cover and it was silhouetted themselves in their sort of ghillie suit with their sniper rifle and there was a caption saying when your daughter is on a date it calls you crying <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can totally relate to that I was a little that. nervous about what you were describing yeah, I'm like, no, where did I no. I, can, I can completely relate to that I just thought yep yeah, I've been there my friend you know I've done that that was a while ago because she's married now she's married and lives in Virginia and, and has her own house so Fantastic. hopefully that's not much of an issue <laughs> yeah that was in 2017 and uh, I okay. can see that you you like collecting quite clearly you're a man who likes collecting and it, you know Star Wars which we'll come on to but Masters of the Universe DC Comics there's an element of Indiana Jones and Lego and Turtles and 1780, 70s 80s stuff in general there's even a James Bond Moonraker Jaws toy which which I loved but it but it's mainly the cantina creatures and um and in fact there was a post which you which you kind of explain that about why you got into the cantina creatures you know you're focusing on those aren't you so what what drew you to that please one of the things when i started collecting was you just want to find an avenue that works for you i uh, i was drawn towards the cantina early i i'm uh, a trained bartender and i i always liked that environment even though it was a little intimidating obviously as a small child it was just so overwhelmingly interesting and the characters had such great colors, vibrant colors, and just strange personalities. I really loved the show Cheers when I was growing up. And in a twist of irony, I ended up being, for a little while, working for one of the two brothers that wrote Cheers and invented the bartender that caused me to want to be a bartender. So um, I ended up, and he was married to one of uh, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughters. I mean, that, that house was crazy. And so... The cheers, I mean, the, the bartender scene just appealed to me, or, or the, the cantina scene, rather. I've, I worked as a bartender for a decade in Gainesville, Florida. That was a college town. And uh, I just liked the whole mood of it. Uh, you can hear the music on in the background. I just always liked just the festive atmosphere with a hint of danger. And then, uh, then you add to that that it was an avenue that I could kind of make mine I, I quickly realized that being a vader focused collector i was gonna have to deal with pill mcbride and all these other monsters in the hobby uh luke uh ben kenobi i gotta i gotta try to crawl over matt george to get pieces i don't think so i found the cantina guys were uh more available and more uh well, certainly more affordable so and when you add the colors, the vibrancy of it, I just liked the art. I liked just the symbolism of those characters, four turning into five when you add the other Snaggletooth. And so, yeah, I'm, I've really have, I've come and gone with different focuses, but I kind of always end up coming back to the cantina. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I'd seen that you were a, a, a barman and now I, I completely get that connection. That, that slipped me by. Yeah, of course. What a fantastic 
fantastic focus for you to have that. And you've been doing it for a while because I think uh, there had been a post on Echo Base UK in sort of 2017, which said that you've been looking at these figures in particular for about three or four years. So, you know, we, we're coming up to that sort of eight year, nine year point of you, of you looking at the cantina. And, and the great thing about the Facebook groups now, I know when we moved away from forums so much and started looking at the Facebook, people were saying, oh, you know, there's no search function. But no, no there really is because it's been quite great to see your sort of genesis of collecting the cantina figures and i've enjoyed watching that this afternoon of the different <laughs> posts which you've made something which really stood out to me and we're going to go for your collection we'll talk about some various different things and we'll just take this in whatever direction you want but whenever you were making a post of hey i've done this and hey i've got this and got this you really really went out of your way to tag and comment on everyone who's helped you along the way and i just thought that really really showed your sort of respect for the community and and your very good skills it from a from a networking point of view and and which is clearly important from a collecting uh, standpoint you know to to get to the uh, positions you've got and to acquire the items which you have done clearly friendships and networking are hugely important to you uh, i can't stress it enough first it was first ebay changed everything you all of a sudden you're like whoa look at this you, you went from garage sales and the occasional toy store to eBay. And, and you had access to what felt like everything, but the prices, some of it was crazy. And then the Facebook forum showed up and things became a little more regulated. And we got real prices from real experts and we got access to, to real collectors. It changed everything. I, I don't know how people in the past, I guess they were dump, driving in dumpsters and going and introducing themselves to, to neighbors. I don't know how you collected Star Wars before other than just buying toys at the toy shop. The networking changed everything. And it, was, it just came down to a simple, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And I, 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 there's no question, I, I have almost countless pieces that I've gotten just because I kind of, smoothed somebody and formed a, you know, and, and I don't mean that in any kind of, like, they already knew me, respected me, and knew I, I think most people know I'm not going to flip anything. So that really helps with these transactions. Uh, they know I've, <laughs> I've got a zero track record of buying something and, and selling it for more money. That's not at all what I got into this for. So I think that's really helped. I'm also very fortunate. I got, I got uh, one of the premier kind of absorbers of great Star Wars history, living 15 minutes away in Paul Macklin. This guy travels to, you know, Tom Derby's house and goes to Cincinnati and has just done re reconnaissance on a level I can't even relate to. And uh, um, we're friends now. And, and uh, it's just really lovely. I get basically, he gets amazing historical stuff. I've seen literally rocket firing Boba Fett's in his house, double telescoping Ben's. I mean, there's just nothing he hasn't had go through his hands. And I feel like I got first crack at anything I really want. I'm going to have to pay for it, obviously. But uh, he's always very generous about working with me and letting me do a you know, payment plan. So uh, I, I've you know, been very, very fortunate. Location, once again, I just feel very lucky to be here, not in the middle of you know, Wyoming or something. Brilliant, yeah. So it's um, it's Paul Macklin who you, you had mentioned on a couple of the posts actually. Because let's start off from a uh, cantina point of view, and predominantly you know want to talk about Warus Man. 
But it was uh, it was Paul who's got you together with um, some of your first pre-production items. Is that right? No question. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've got. Uh, I've managed to assemble first shots for all four of the original Cantina characters. So, and that was now two of those came from Paul Macklin. Two of those came from Sean and Ryan Lemkel in in Cincinnati. A couple of toy giants as well. And uh, the, the two I got from Macklin, I believe, came from a famous find. I think it was called the Earth Find. And it was in right. Cincinnati. I, do, I don't really know too many of the details. I've got COAs that kind of explain it. Yeah. But those aren't even technically graded. They're just in, in acrylic cases. But it's just not a problem. They're so distinct looking and kind of so historical. I, 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 I guess I do plan to get them graded, but it's not it's not much of an issue for me. Nobody who knows me or knows them is think that they're just the walrus man literally has almost a different color green head. And you can tell that he was heavily used in whatever first shot process they were doing. Those were not easy to assemble. All four of them was, were very difficult to, to track down as a set and, and to pay off. Now I wasn't, I guess getting to them wasn't nearly as difficult as just paying them off. The, uh, the, uh, the Guido and the Blue Snaggletooth were particularly pricey. But if you're, doing, if you're making the run, you, you, you know, having three of the four. Now, Red Snaggletooth first shots are extremely rare. And Sean Lemke recently sent me a picture teasing me because he found one. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I want that, right? And he's like, yeah, sorry, get in line. I want it. It's so rare he wanted it. And he has one of the best collections on the face of the earth. So that's in order to compensate for that, what I ended up getting was an engineering pilot, Red Snaggletooth, and then I yeah. got a, a really nice photo sample that's uh, from a, an Empire Strikes Back case that was used in the marketing for that. So, and then I also got uh, Red Snaggletooth, one of the original mailers, which I just love the idea that you contacted Kenner and said, how dare you give me a blue Snaggletooth? I believe I'm entitled to a red one. And they would send you in this little envelope right here. And this is extremely scarce from what I understand. Uh, this little envelope, this brown envelope with a red snaggletooth in it. And so <laughs> those from what I understand, those from what I understand are extremely scarce. And uh, I got a good deal on one of those in, uh, in a new forum from, uh, I believe his name is James Coleman. He's running a vintage forum of some kind. It's pretty cool. And yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, very, very fortunate. Yeah, fantastic. So they're they're the first shots, and I'd seen you you get those, and I think it was in June twenty twenty that you showed a uh, couple of photographs of the complete run of the first shots, along with you've got some uh, specific artwork, haven't you? The copies of the Kenner artwork. Yeah, yeah, I've got the I've got copies. I, I always got to be yeah. careful how I word this. Copies of the internal specs from Kenner that were used in the creation of the figures. That's so right. I, I've seen some collectors every once in a while, someone will have a Darth Vader one or someone will have, you know, but they, I don't see them out a lot. And I'm really surprised that they aren't more sought after considering what it is we collect. I would say if you have a focus on one figure, you got to get yourself a copy of one of these things and put it up because it's, it's, it's the, paperwork origin of it you know what i mean it, it's 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 the history right there on a sheet of paper and so having it with the four if i can eventually i plan to uh, display them together it's going to look magnificent 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, so this is the uh, three and three quarter inch, like well, the four inch uh, figure specifications sheets, isn't it? And yes, and yes. I believe that whilst you say yeah, copies. So these were internal Kenner copies from the original, which they were using at the time. So these aren't some sort of 2020, 2022 copies. These are still 40 plus year old yeah. items which were used there. So that's uh, that's the premise when I got them. Yeah, you know, so I mean, how do I don't I don't exactly do uh, carbon dating on paper, but that's that's <laughs> yeah. the way I bought them. <laughs> cool. But that's not the only sort of pre-production item you have, is it, for your uh, for your walrus man and your cantina creatures in in general? No, oh, I've got I've got actually I've got this amazing. I picked this up recently, and it's from Christie's Auction House, and I believe this was given to the actor that played Walrus Man. And this was, I, from what I understand, this was a folder that were that were basically his specs as a character. From what I understand, simply put, this was the folder in the in the dressing room of the gentleman who was to dress up and play Walrus Man. Outstanding. And uh, the, and so this was like his little his little uh, bio, the character you were playing today, and this is how you're going to dress. Yeah, that's just a really neat, a really neat piece. I also uh, have a, a a nice little, you know, proof. The uh, the revenge um, proof, yeah, the revenge of the Jedi. Yeah, proof. that's right. Yeah. That's right. No, I've got. I mean, I as far as uh, <laughs> I know, a lot of this is vintage, but just to show you the degree by which I'm collecting these characters and sets, I'll show you these. I got these from a gentleman called Scott Baker, who makes basically three foot kind of cutouts of these characters. So, <laughs> which I just think is great. If I do a cantina room, they're just going right, so, yeah, to well, be brilliant. Three, yeah, three foot cutouts. They they look like the sort of thing you'd find at the front of the collecting track at Celebration. You know, exactly. where they're, they're sort of decking exactly. out the room. Brilliant. I've got a gentleman in, down in LA who makes masks, and so I, once again, not sure how this fits into my vintage focus, but I have life-size masks for all five of these characters that I could (laughs) (laughs) I haven't found a reason to put them on yet but uh there it is now is Um, that Mark Enright yes that's him yes he does great work great work world-class Hollywood stuff I've got the as far as the cantina goes I've got the um original what is that a transparency from you know the 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 art that was on the, the jigsaw puzzle you know the famous picture. Yeah, fantastic. Um, got little, little things. Yeah, exactly. I'll show you this. I've got this from Bill Cable. I don't know what the context was, but here's a Walrus Man can of beer, and I have a a cantina themed cigar. I mean, just uh, endless. <laughs> yeah. the, the joy of the cantina stuff is that yeah. they figured out people like this stuff. We can go down these avenues and make these products and people will buy them. They're not going to buy them as fast as Luke and Vader and Boba, but they're going to buy them. And so they keep making magnificent cantina stuff. Here's, here's something I think is, is really cool. This is, a, this is all four of the characters uh, in Sp- the Spanish version, PVP. Yeah. yeah. So they're all, you know, lined up together, one piece. And that's a perfect example is the guy, a guy, John Rula, wanted, it was important to him that I have first shot at it because he knew I was a cantina guy. So that was extremely, you know, 
fortunate. And uh, that's when your your um, reputation really starts to starts to really help you out. I uh, I really became infatuated with the with the documentary Plastic Galaxy. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I got in touch with the gentleman who made it, and he ended up giving me his his pass when he was was doing the film. He wrote me a letter, uh, and I got three of his childhood figures that he used in the film. Oh. Wow. And at some point, I be- I believe you'll see the the hammerheads is flying a Millennium Falcon. The blue snaggletooth is wearing has a hula skirt on at one point, just to make a point about these <laughs> these figures in the documentary. So I got very very fortunate there. That 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 documentary meant a lot to me. And as much as I loved the toys that made us, and I did love it, I think I liked it the first time I saw it when it was called Plastic Galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I felt like they just basically just took Plastic Galaxy and and, and Netflix says, okay, we're gonna make our version. And it was really good, but it was it, you know, Plastic Galaxy covered most of it for me, anyways. So, so um, engineering pilot wise, you um, you out there with a couple of engineering pilots as well, in addition to your first shots, I believe. I am. I'm. I'm currently <laughs> paying one off from Macklin, a, a walrus <laughs> man, and in a twist of irony, uh, the price on them has shot up so much that now I'm paying more for an engineering pilot. Um, walrus man that I did for a, a first shot, which almost makes no sense. I mean, one, one's earlier in the process and engineering pilots are almost impossible to differentiate from a regular production figure unless you've got 100%, you know, uh, pedigree or you've got confirmation. Anyone could write a number on mm-hmm. the bottom of a foot. You know what I mean? So the, it's, it seems so easy to, to make frauds of those that I'm just really, really surprised that I'm, I'm, I find myself in a place where I'm probably going to spend a, a good, well, it's, I guess it's going to be about the same. It's going to be about the same, mm-hmm. about $2,500 for an engineering pilot. And that's about what I paid for a first shot a while ago. So I guess that's, I guess that's kind of reasonable. That's, that's not a, a shock. Is this the stunning AFA 85 one, which I've seen of yours online? I'm, I'm sure I saw you had a graded one. Or, or is this a loose one? I, I think, I think there's a chance you're talking about this this baggy, baggy no. one. Because I had a series. I bought all. I got a series of these baggies, and they're all eighty five. Yeah, they're all eighty five, and some of them are even are even U graded, which I would, <laughs> I didn't really even realize that when I got them. So, um, 25th of June, 2016, <laughs> okay. not, not for sale yet. Another mini circle is complete. As of last night, I have a loose pre-production version of the four cantina characters. I couldn't have done it without the loyalty and generosity of this amazing community. Thank you to Paul Macklin for Wally and Hammerhead mm-hmm. engineering pilots. So, oh this, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had, yep. Yes. You so know, this it, was... I, I did have those. I did have right. those. And I'll tell you what happened. I, 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 I entered a Hakes auction. Uh-huh. I put those in a Hakes auction. I had, I had, and I got crushed. No, note to, to anyone collecting. Uh, I've figured out that in those auctions, the, the main first 12 characters, you can get a lot of money. The Cantina characters are kind of secondary. And, and, and if there's that, that, catalog had so many brilliant toys that even i 
didn't want the cantina stuff when I looked through it. Like, I was like, my God, look at all these historical pieces. Where are mine going to fit? And they kind of didn't. So I kind of really got crushed. Um, I ended up selling things like that for, you know, I don't know, maybe seven, $800 less than I bought them. And because I was just, I think as you're, as you're evolving as a collector, you just can't keep it all. You can't yeah. keep it all. And you got to let some cool things go to, to try to upgrade on cooler things. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened there. That's I've all, I'm, I've always kind of been evolving. You know, when I get a toy, I, I don't even really inspect it. I just kind of put it in its place. There it is. There's the spot for it. And, and I've, gotten, I've gotten burned that way a couple times through the years where, you know, if somebody's shrewd and wants to get over on me with a, a cracked bubble and I trust them, I might not find out about it for five years. <laughs> and, and that's fine. I'm not going to lose any sleep. But like I said, life's really good for me. And those kind of things happen. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I've, at one point I've had, I've had, I mean, I was thinking about it. I, I've had, I've been in this hobby and I've moved so many pieces around that I've had a double telescoping Ben. I've, I, you know, I've just had so many amazing pieces and the museum I could have opened if I just could have kept them all. But at some point you feel really bad about having a $14,000 Ben Kenobi. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, I can really use that money somewhere else. Yeah. And so it, it becomes uh, yeah. So that's, that's how you find yourself going down a cantini Avenue. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine having that <laughs> thought process myself, but yeah, no, I, oh, I, I, I completely you, get that dude. You should have seen me waiting for it to arrive in the mail. I actually got into it with the postmaster in the local town because I went there and kind of naively said, look, this is a really special piece of mail. And he was like, We're, they're all special, sir. And just gave me a whole <laughs> bunch of attitude. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a $14,000 toy. Like, I need, can, like I'll, I want to wait here. I want to, and it, it just got really, it, it reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where he, at, he, wanted the guy to give him a wake-up call, and then he became concerned that he had pissed off the guy so much he purposely wasn't going to wake him up. That's what it felt like. Like, oh, right. man, this guy hates me. <laughs> I did the reverse. He's going to start using it as a football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. Sure. So there's that. That's what I had to get a P.O. box. I, I, I had to get a P.O. box. I couldn't deal with the front porch yeah. at the time. I was getting so many items. They were just pouring in, and... If I, if I wasn't there to sign for something, I might not see it for four days. And so I just, I had to get a PO box between that and the wife wondering, Hey, what's that? What's that? What's that? <laughs> uh, it was just a much easier existence. Yeah. But it's been great to see your, your different posts showing about, right. Yeah. I've just got this. There was one, uh, one which made me chuckle. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was 15th of March, 2020. And you put a post on, Hi, my name is Alex and I have a cantina problem. <laughs> and, and you say, I have deals in place to complete a run of four cantina guy first shots. And that's when you go on to explain the, the color for the snag. And uh, so I suppose my next quest will be for a Harbert Warrus man or Hammerhead because I do know that you've got Harbert snag, haven't you? And uh, Greedo. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, yep. And you yep. said. And those little Walrus man and, and Hammerhead are brutal. Yeah. I mean, you let me know. You please tag me when you see them available. I I won't be holding my breath. No, I was, I was trying to help you out earlier on. I was trying to get a little bit of a sort of an insight, and uh, I checked out Tracker. 
So uh, Star Wars Tracker, which can go back, you know, years and years and years for items which have been sold publicly, you know, in some of the just eBay and the big auction houses, and then more recently some Facebook bits and pieces. Um, but there was one in 2013 sold in the UK for £228. And then pretty much <laughs> 12 months later in the USA, one sold for £1,687, which equated to $2,700. So, I mean, that was a significant jump up in, in, in price in 12 months. But yeah, not, not seen on track here for uh, eight years. So That's um, amazing. And that just shows you how the market kind of regulates itself. I love, I love the idea of the second guy trying to reference the first purchase. You know, no, no, this is what it's worth. Look. And the guy with the guy <laughs> selling it is like, I don't think so, buddy. I just put another zero on there. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I still would love to get those. I'm, I'm, I lived, I actually lived in Vicenza, Italy when Star Wars came out. My father was stationed there. And so my, I'm pretty sure the first Star Wars toys I probably saw were in Italian toy stores and they were Harbor. And I love the, I've always liked the art and the, I've got a Chewie and a Vader too. Right. Um, and I've just always liked the, the, the Italian art. The, just, it's, it's different than, you know, Kenner and Palatoy. And it's always been a little more striking to me. And my father's from Rome. So you know, that, that felt like an appropriate, uh, you know, connection anyways. Yeah, they are kind of like the, they're like the Ferraris, aren't they? Of the uh, aren't they? Yeah. cards, Star Wars cards. So yeah, right. Absolutely. And the back, the back is just amazing. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Yeah. Love so, the Italian stuff. And, and on that post, you say you'd also like to replace the Cantina three pack, which you regretfully sold recently because yeah, I'd seen that you had done a 90 second video um, a few years earlier with, with some of your various different bits and pieces. And you could see that you had had different Cantina sets throughout the years. Do you still have one of those now, or is that still one on the shopping list? Are we talking about? Are we talking about like cantinas? Yeah, the three the pack, box? the uh, the triple pack, the the creature set. Oh, I Sorry. know what you're talking about. Of course, the yeah. three pack. Yeah. I, I once again, I, I one went in the Hakes auction. That's where I lost one of my three packs. Was the Hakes auction, or I had that was the one I had. And yeah, I'd like to get another one again. Absolutely, that is a if you're a cantina collector. No question, that's a grail piece. And to take it even further, I'd love to have the uh, the Boba Fett Tuscan Red Snaggletooth one. I mean, if, you, if I'm really going to collect Cantina, yeah. I, I eventually like to have them both. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's. I think with that one, from a from a three pack point of view, it was always the one which I wanted, and I'm I'm the same as you with regards to the colors, the vibrancy, uh, just the very '70s feel of it all. That if, if you said to me, choose one of those three packs to get. Now I'm Luke X-Wing is, you know, my passion. I love Luke X-Wing. So therefore one of the two hero sets, Luke comes with that. But it's just not as striking as that creature set. That creature set is absolutely brilliant. I've, I've got a beta one. I've got a really rough, oh, wow. really rough beta wow. one, um, which awesome. is great. And, uh, yes. and, and I'll just have that in there. It's, it's really really rough i mean we would use the expression it's as rough as a badger's ass but it's <laughs> it, 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 it's not in good condition however it's you know it's one of those things which is which is cool which is special 
See, you wow, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. The art of that it makes the point right there. There's why I collect the Cantina guys. And you look at those those three packs, and which one jumps out at you? Which one has the 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 Vegas colors? You know, the 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 <laughs> the, the, the the one that grabs you the most. It's it's undoubtedly the Cantina one. So you've spoken about uh, some of your pre-production bits and pieces. Now I can see that you're ticking the boxes of anything cantina because um well just talk me through some of the rest of your collection and if you're yeah i, I mean here's here's pieces. something i got on my birthday a year ago finally which was this really nice lego cantina so this is supposed to be that that is the 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 highest end one from what i understand that's the most recent yeah and i'm, I'm fighting hard to keep my son from tearing into it and building <laughs> it here i have the, the sears cantina um that was the uh, that's the one that Blue Snaggletooth came in originally. I'm gonna move this guy out of the way, um, and this is the one yeah that came with the four baggies and it, it's it's complete except I've got the baggies out here. I should actually keep those with it and then and then unfortunately I did. I've got to get another Blue Snaggletooth baggie because what I'm telling you when when you need real money, there's something about those high end items that just turn into cash super quick that becomes almost yeah. irresistible when life gets real. Here we have it. This is a Canadian. This is the Canadian, a French Canadian. Nice creature cantina. Um, I'll run over here. I had, uh, I had a, a gentleman in the hobby named Matt Brookins. He he does custom stuff, and he made this. I hope you can see it. This thing cost me a fortune, but this is a custom-made cantina that opens, like literally, is playable. I don't know if you can see this here, but. He literally oh, wow. recreated the cantina. There's the top opens up so you can see into the rooms. I mean, it's nice. it's wonderful. There's light. There's lights that come on. He really you can see the band in there. Oh yeah, um, we're, we're gonna have to get some images for this. For, uh, for yeah, no, I'll, t- I'll definitely take pictures because it's just really cool. He, he this was this was a commission job. Yeah, and the. The frustrating part is he lives completely across the country. So when I got the cost, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I can afford that. And then I got the cost for shipping. And I was like, oh, dear God, <laughs> this thing just doubled. <laughs> so, yeah, I will send you some images of that for sure. Because that, uh, that is really cool. I'm really proud of that. I've also managed to accumulate, and I don't have them out because space is a problem, but some wonderful cantina posters. Ralph McClory, some there's a uh, there's a Japanese artist. I'm not going to butcher his name, but he he's done a lot of licensed Star Wars work. I'm sure you'd recognize you'd recognize them. And those are sweeping shots of the cantina with all the characters. And so it's just a question of when I can get them framed up and get a real get a real, you know, uh, Star Wars room. This is our master bedroom, for goodness sakes. You know what I mean? So, but now the kids are starting to move out and space may become a little more available. And I think, you know, eventually I could have a, a really cool, really cool Star Wars room. I can see that you're, you are a fan of the artwork as, as well as the, you know, the officially licensed stuff. Uh, I've seen Dan Terrell work amongst your collection and the Corey Glow and Jeff Cox. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, here's a, here's a, uh, this is a Barry Jones, I believe. You know, Barry Jones. That's a Bill Cable. Why? That's, that's uh, let's see, uh, George Terrell. There's a Corey Galal. I'm not sure how Yak Face got in there. 
<laughs> but uh but yeah I, I get things like this i mean look this is just hilarious this is a birthday card you open it up you shoot guido nice it plays the whole band we got <laughs> i mean we got a whole novel dedicated to these characters yeah this this i got this from brian angel he saw it and said i had to have it and i mean this is hilarious this is a pop-up cantina book so <laughs> let me show you real quick what we're dealing with look at the detail on this like all of this kind of pops up and you can yeah. see all the characters if you're looking i mean it's you know and, and i don't know i'm sure you know of brian angel i mean one of the great yeah. ambassadors in the hobby i mean the guy's unbelievable and i've been fortunate enough to spend some time with him our families have gotten together and uh yeah, the uh, the friends the friends we've made in this hobby, I feel are, are lifelong. It's even if the toys were to to fade away, I feel some of these connections would stay. Sure. So um, it's been yeah. it's been wonderful. And I completely see that, as I said, you know, from uh, from in your interactions on the twelve pack group in particular, it's it's really quite clear. And there were a couple of other things which you've shown. Which what's the deal with the Uncle Ron's two pack with? with original paperwork uncle ron if you remember was a a gentleman who in 1979 i believe went and just gobbled up one of everything in star wars then what feels like about six eight years ago he decided to i think his son marketed and sold everything just as that as a one super collection for sale we got one of everything and so what, what uncle, and so with the two packs back then or, or the mailers, people were getting them x-rayed and then putting a certificate of, of authenticity that not only was it authentic, but it was from the famous uncle Ron collection. And I don't, I'm not so sure that's going to stand up historically. <laughs> Feels, felt a little niche, <laughs> okay. you know, but <laughs> But yeah, I, I basically at that point when you're integrated in the group and the hobby, when when a, a big collection hits, people start tagging the people that they know are into those things. So it, it starts to feed itself and you end up even, you know, kind of getting socially pressured into, <laughs> into buying things just yeah. because, oh, Alex, you're the cantina guy. You got to have this. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. So, but, but that is the background story. Those, those pieces were all immaculate. He had early bird mailers. He had every, every mailer. All, it was just, it was incredible. A lot of people, there's a lot of people in our hobby that have an Uncle Ron piece. Um, but like I said, I just don't know about the uh, historical significance of Uncle Ron. <laughs> I mean, he's just some guy. Yeah. He's just a guy who collected a bunch of stuff. Uh, he may have even been connected to Kenner. Uh, if I if I really think back, but I but it, it I don't believe he was a designer or anything like that. Yeah. I believe his thing was that he just was smart enough to do what we all wished we'd done, which yeah. is just bought everything, put it in a warehouse, and not touched it for thirty years. Oh, one hundred percent. You know, but we'd all be millionaires. And... <laughs> <laughs> but the thing so, is, it, so yeah. whilst you say you know it might not have any historical you know significance or anything, no, I I think it's perfect. I think it's great because it's just actually. It, for you, um, I would say for you curating your collection, you know, for talking about it, it's a talking point. We've just we've just spoken about no it. No question. And that's no, you can't take perfect. that away. No, 
it's, it's hard to help. You know, there's loads of different things which you've shown which I like. There was robertsquire.com. I've uh, never heard of this uh, particular artist before, but this was one of your posts on Instagram, and it was the Fab Four, which showed the original oh, yes. vintage creatures. And just sort of out of shot is Red Snaggletooth, who's clearly been booted up the backside yes, by Blue Snaggletooth. I mean, they're great. <laughs> so, so symbolic. Yeah, I love it. I mean, really, that's kind really of good. historically it was the red one booting the blue one, but actually now, now that we've come to be what we are as collectors, there's no question the blue one is booting the red one. Yeah, that's exactly you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, no, that's great. I mean, it just brings me then to finally, I think, just talk about the the carded figures. Do you actively collect the carded figures as well, or are you just going out trying to get your hands on, on whatever? I I do. What I want is I just want examples. I, I've, I've moved away from gem mint, mint on card, because I just feel too vulnerable with them. I don't. I remember, I think it was Bill McBride doing an interview, and it was a while ago, and he said the words that sent a chill through my spine. It's not if these bubbles are going to fall off, it's when. And the idea that I have a $7,000, you know, mint on card and I wake up one morning and the, the figure and the bubble are just laying at the bottom of the acrylic haunts my yeah. dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just made a conscious effort to move away from the really, really high end mint on cards and put my money into things that I believe are less risky. And so graded first shots, vinyl coated Jawa, th these things I just feel I'm less, less vulnerable to. But that being said, you can't have a nice collection and not have an example of an on card to show, to show people. You can't have a, a Leia, you know, section and not have one Leia on card. So I, I made it a point to just try to get a, a variety of on cards, not to move away from the run and move into more of a, let me show you what options they had, what, what different card backs were available with the same figure in it. So well, I did that with my 12 backs. I did that with, with I'm trying to do that with the Cantina. So that if, if I were to just set up a section for display with just one character, I've got to have, the, the vanity in me says, I've got to have at least one sealed mint on card in that, in that display. In, in times past, I would have had five or six. And it took up a lot of room and felt a little monotonous, to be perfectly honest. I just kind of moved away from that. They, have, they all kind of, you know, they all, when you have different variations of, of, of uh, re revenge cards, it just gets, it just gets a, little, uh, a little, for me, a little tedious to just kind of have a row of five or six of, of the same one with the same front you know, you have the same front. You have to look at the back to see the difference. To me, that's not that visually appealing. Uh -huh. So, yeah, no, I've, I've, I kind of strategically went a different direction. Here, I, you know, as long as I got you, I'm going to show you these. Uh, these are customs that I got for, for my, uh, my cantina guys. I think they're kind of funny. One of these is from Bill Cable. Just a little hammerhead, a little walrus man. I like, you know, that's the way he looked in the film. That's the Bill Cable one. And then I love... Guido in a speedo. You can't go wrong. Oh, that's outstanding. Guido, Guido in a speedo. So, and then I have a couple like of these signed 
I got a couple of these. They're signed. Apparently, there were two characters that played Guido. There was a man and there was a woman. So I had to get both signed on those figures. And then, you know, like, where is it here? I've got, you know, a little sign-off stuff. I don't, I don't like, I'm not big on kind of the prequel stuff or any of that. But, but if it's going to be a, a, a sign-off or something like that, has a little historical significance yeah. and, and it's cantina, I can't resist. Do you know what? I'm, I'm moving into the same uh, feelings with regards to, to what I'm going to be delving into now. So you, you've just shown a, a Power of the Force 2 Kenner sign-off sample. And uh, yeah, you are finding out, I think, more and more collectors are, are welcoming now with open arms, more broader collecting than just initially, what, maybe four or five years ago or, or longer. Yeah, People stuck, just, yeah. yeah, just strictly up to 85 or so. So, um, yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting and it's collectible. Why not? Yeah, and I completely get your point, which is initially uh, Bill's point with regards to those bubbles. Yeah, you just even saying that then just maybe go, yeah, actually. (laughs) I mean, it makes (laughs) you think hard, yeah. Yeah, but what we'll do is uh, we'll we'll just keep that between me and you, all right, because otherwise... Yeah, yeah, we don't want to start a panic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now I know your passion... I'm I'm gonna be tagging you every time I see something or other. Yeah, you know, that's a not white, a problem. White Kate Bib Fortuna prototype on a Warriors <laughs> Man card. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Party wants Alex that. Alex's gotta have that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's fine. It just it doesn't matter. It doesn't even if people tag you, it's still nice to be thought of. Absolutely. I've never been never been offended. It's always flattering that someone would take the time to type my name. Absolutely. It's, so it's it's never been a problem. I I do want to say before. I sign off and I forget I, I, you were one of the people that, that inspired me when I got into this hobby. I don't mind saying that at all. The, the, you running those marathons as a stormtrooper, that was amazing. That was really, really cool. And it was inspiring for all of us. I, I can, I can tell you that all of us thought the world of you and mm-hmm. it didn't look like um, you were doing it for any other reason than to raise money, draw 10. It looked like a real struggle. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like running. <laughs> I don't like running in, you know, running clothes. Yeah. And so the idea that you were doing that in a stormtrooper outfit was, it was a, a real commitment. And uh, yeah, I, I can tell you universally that the hobby really thought the world of you. You were, you were one of the uh, ambassadors well, thank uh, you. for us. That's, that's so very, yeah. Very kind of you to say so. Thank you so much, mate. Look, it's been my absolute pleasure chatting to you uh i would say this afternoon but i know it's the morning where you are yep. thank you so much for coming on and uh and sharing with me your your time your home your collection and uh yeah it's been great and uh, i really with your permission look forward to being able to share some of your images uh for our oh yeah i'll send you I'll, when we get it off when we wrap it up i'll i'll start sending you some more pictures and uh, I, I really appreciate it jess thank you very much it was my pleasure Alex, you're an absolute gentleman. I really, really look forward to, uh, you know, it, it is a small world. I look forward to the opportunity to uh, to meet up with you and uh, and share some stories and and, uh, and share a drink. And uh, well, let's not Heck share yeah. a drink. Let's just get a drink each. <laughs> Otherwise, it just gets awkward. <laughs> Sounds even better. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Two straws. Yeah. And, all right. Um, thank you. That'd be great. So uh, once again, on behalf of all of us, take care. Thank you ever so much, mate. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Remember, the Force will be with you. Always.
Now we're going to go back to the variant villains with Mark and Jamie who are going to give us their knowledge about the Warus Man variations. Then ever since the beginning to keep the world spinning it takes all kinds of kinds all kinds Okay, so I'm here with Jamie and we're going to have a bit of a chat about Warus Man. What's your impressions of this figure? Tell me, wh- why is it the worst figure that Kenneth produced? <laughs> Grow me off my cue there, Mark. I, you know, I think I disagree there. <laughs> I love the Cantina figures. I love the brightness of all of the, the figures. Woolwich Man, no exception, really. Don't get me wrong, I think Kenneth did an amazing job with the first 12, with some really iconic figures in there. But I do think that they kind of looked at those first 12 and thought we need to get a bit of colour in there. And that's what they've done with the Cantina aliens. And that's why I love Woolwich Man. I know your opinion is different, mate. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, this, with the canteen, is that they're, they're a cool, don't get me wrong, they're a cool set. You see Snaggletooth, Greedo, Hammerhead, they just look really, they stand out as, as interesting characters in the first 21 run. However, the colours of Walrus Man just are so, so goofy. And on top of the fact, the silly bugger, he doesn't stand up. So should we talk about Kenavarians? Yeah, let's go for it, mate. Um, first thing to say is that he came out on the 20 backs. He ran throughout the Star Wars era, the ESB era and the Return of the Jedi era. Interestingly, there's only two mold families to collect, so that's a good plus. And secondly, um, despite the fact that there's two mold families, there's only one factory that produced them, and that is Smile. And any, any, any idea why that was? Honestly, at the time, my only thoughts are that they wanted to keep all the Cantina aliens together from one factory. It just made sense in that respect, because not only is it Walrus Man that's only produced by Smile, it's also Snaggletooth, Hammerhead and Greedo. Um, yeah. Maybe it was just the best way. What about you? I, I can only guess. I mean, it seems like at the with the first 21 figures, Boba Fett and the Cantinas were unique in that they were only produced by one factory, the other figures preceding them and you know the ESB and Return of the Jedi figures all had at least two if not three and sometimes even four factories making them so yeah they are quite different it just seems a weird sort of uh, funky stage in that production era where they thought they could consolidate it all to in this case it's the smile factory isn't it with uh, with Wally and the containers that's right yeah 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 um so I mean beyond uh, beyond just the Hong Kong produced Walrus Man there's there's a Spanish produced one isn't there so yeah, what, what what kind of features am I looking for with with that figure as opposed to the Kenner? The first thing to note really is the blue of the limbs is darker on the Spanish figure compared to the Kenner counterpart. Um, the orange is a little bit more vibrant. The green on the face and the hands is a little bit darker. Or in the case of the PBP produced one for the Meccano baggie, it's a kind of lighter green. But perhaps the most telling feature really is that on the Kenner figures, the black of the uh, webbed boots is a kind of matte black, whereas on the PBP produced one, it's a glossy black. And I think that's the biggest telltale. And even within PBP, they've got like multiple variations as well, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. The most obvious differences really are on the tusks themselves. So you get a, a cream over white uh, tusk you get a white tusk and you also get a pink tusk to look out for um the pink tusk one comes on the uh, most interesting variant of all which is the uh, pbb produced one that appeared in the meccano baggies 
which is the yeah. one that's often described as mint green skin. And that's often found with the, the, the pink tusks. They're the major differences between the, the PBP and the, the Kenner figures, aside from the coos themselves. We were having an interesting talk recently, weren't we, about the way the moulds migrated. I don't know if you want to go into more detail there. There's probably actually something worth mentioning in there, isn't there? So the, the moulds themselves were were used in Hong Kong to produce the, the you know, the common Kenner uh, version of Walrus Man. And then later in the line, when Kenner were looking at expanding into, you know, having Mexican factories starting to produce figures that were sold on Kenner cars, made in Mexico. And the same thing happened in Spain with PVP producing Walrus Man. And they were also sold on Kenner cards. So there's a there's sort of a really small, we call the Made in Spain grouping of, of 77 back uh, cards, which uh, sold with the PVP figure. So you can find this PVP figure not just in Spain itself, but actually fairly broadly across the world. It's not common to be found elsewhere, but you know you can pick them up. So we talk weapons. The Kenner figure itself came with an M5 Smile Blue Black Imperial Blaster, and the PVP version came with M7 Blue Black Imperial Blaster. The PVP figures tended to use as well. And that's it, really. Regards weapons, it, it makes it simple. Just to underline the point, like the Spanish figures came with Hong Kong produced, like the Kenner version of the weapon. Like they didn't, PVP didn't make their own accessories for this particular figure, did they? No, no. Thank God, because otherwise they'd be really expensive. Uh, yeah, no doubt. And, and that's the great <laughs> thing about Walrus Man. You know, there's only two families, one Kenner factory, one foreign factory. It makes the run very cheap, very affordable. Um, and very easy to hunt down the track. That's true. Um, as if you'd want to, though. Bum face. We love him. All kinds of kinds. Brilliant. Mark and Jamie. Jamie kind of likes it. Mark's got some colour issues. Doesn't stand up. What's he talking about? I'm looking at mine now. He's standing up fine. Even without an acrylic stand. He, he's just standing on his own. Mark, don't know what you're talking about, mate talking about the variations spanish variations they're calling them tusks we're calling them bums whatever ron would say but for a mouth great little interview thank you i noticed they didn't mention the so-called waffle tusks or the jacket potato tusks so can we can we sort of assume that was just a bit of a random factory error that is a great point we're gonna to have to point out to them the jacket potato tusks you're absolutely right the hot cross buns or the That's jacket it, yeah. potato tusks. <laughs> yeah, so this, for those people who aren't familiar with that, and we will share this again on the enhanced, but if you imagine said buttocks protruding out of face or some sort of other appendage, well, what you've got is a horizontal line going straight over. So four tusks or a sort of, you know, bum with a crease. Who knows what or dares to dream it's a variation which we had seen so we need to dig into that a little bit more does anyone still have any of these from their early childhood figures does it give you any sort of sense of nostalgia i mean i've got a rather special piece just looking now this is obviously my creature set which comes from my uh, star wars triple pack so absolutely love the triple pack comes with hammerheads a Warus Man and Greedo, so obviously myself, Craig and Lee. <laughs> and uh, yeah, really, really <laughs> lovely set. But what about you? How, how has Warus Man affected you, your collection? Now I have a loose figure in my loose run. I used to have a Palato 20 back of the Warus Man, but for 
some some odd reason I still moved that on, even though I was trying to at the time still trying to put the first twenty together. I kind of regret that, but you know, Sylvie. I've got a loose one in my uh, in my loose run. That's a, that's about it, really. Right. So yeah, loose ones are round. Stu, I imagine you've got a loose one. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I still kind of carded. I mean, he is beautiful. I think Lee's very harsh. I think he's one of the most wonderful characters. And um, is he the only person to get sliced by a lightsaber and bleed? Mm, yeah, we spoke about the sort of Ash Quillish, um, what would you say, blood vessels and the way in which they, uh, yeah. Is that the way they work around there? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so yeah i've got my loose collection one i've got my childhood one in front of me you know i said it was a really really rare figure this was one of the last ones i bought and i think i almost stopped collecting as a child when i saw this in woolworths and i was like oh, i must get it so it's absolutely absolutely mint this one and uh yeah i love it so i'm very fortunate to have three warriors men in my collection, a trio of Warriors men, which is probably exactly why then that you've decided that I am old bumface. No, you just look like it, mate. Brilliant, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How rude. Beyond the toys, you know, we've spoken about the carded figures and I can talk about releases and, and what they're fetching at the moment from a market point of view, but let's spread it out there, beyond the toys. So this isn't the first time we've we've talked about Warus Man. We we did a show, I think it's 2020, the Halloween show, and we looked at characters that specifically had been created by putting an earthbound animal's head on a human body, of which the, the, there are a number in uh, in the Star Wars universe, but Warus Man one of the, the obvious ones. You know, we we discussed a lot of the, the, the material around the character, and you know, I think it's true that there are enough cool aliens and droids in the main cast for most licenses not to have to mine the background aliens for sort of beyond the toys items. Um, so there's not a huge amount. I've got a few. You know, one, one good place to look for these things for obscure characters is Dixie Cups. And Wars Man did appear in the first wave of, of Star Wars Dixie Cups. It's quite a nice headshot of him. But, you know, other stuff's sort of few and, and far between, really. There was a, uh, a drawing board greetings card that came out much later, around 1984, when, you know, this is this is after Kenner had done their number on bringing Wars Man from the background to the foreground. But one of the more the most interesting things I found was a, as a, as a piece of art that was created by a gentleman called Bill Selby. Uh, and this was a piece that was commissioned and sold as a as a fan club piece. So, Jez, you, you know, you're familiar with this, your powers of of, of description and creating the theatre of the mind far greater than mine. So do you want to just describe what's going on in this image? Yeah, this this is absolutely wonderful poster, which is oh, crumbs. Okay, cheers, Craig. <laughs> You're good at this stuff. You've got the wonderfully detailed and entertaining cantina patrons right at the bottom, right up close, and the lighting, the, the detailing of these hammer... Um, so you've got Hammerhead, Greedo, the... the cute one the various uh, bum face the guy who looks like the other guy and then sort of wolfman anyway they're all having a great conversation you want to know what's going on you want to be in that picture above them 
you've got the modal nodes like just jamming away they're in really cool mood lighting it's just you know red lighting so you've got these big red lights above them which are coming down looking like your 10 pin bowling so you've got these big sort of bowling uh, 10 pin pins behind them and you've got other characters right in the background as well amongst them but it's a disco vibe it's absolute 70s disco sensation in fact as you look down at the modal nodes you can see that the bottom of their trousers starts to flare out slightly they're absolutely in the 70s mood and it's just a, a real sort of hippie vibe so that i mean that's that's a great that's a great summary of this piece of work for, for people who are listening. There's a there's a lovely article on a on a website called comicartfans.com, uh, which just goes into a little bit of detail, which I won't I won't labour. But there's a wonderful little story about the the creation of this, which was commissioned by George Lucas to be the very first Star Wars fan club poster. But the the artist Bill Selby goes on to talk about how it almost didn't make it to its final destination. So I'll just give you this little quote from from the story of of, of how it was sent from the East Coast to, to L.A. Selby says, when the painting was completed, I created it up a flat plywood crate about four inches thick and flew to Los Angeles to get it proved. It was the dead of winter and I had to change planes in Chicago while standing inside the airport observation deck watching bag handlers remove luggage and the crated painting from the plane. I looked in horror as the crate slipped off the baggage trailer onto the icy tarmac. Nobody noticed but me. Zooming tow tractors and trucks came within inches of smashing the crate. I frantically notified security. The crated painting was finally rescued by a mechanic on a cigarette break. <laughs> Brilliant. And it's not often you get that kind of background into these pieces, so well worth a look. I'll uh, we'll put a link and uh, and we'll share some of it on the enhanced, but nice bit of background to a rare piece of Beyond the Toys marketing merchandise. Brilliant. There there are so many things that we could delve into. There are going to be elements of oh, it was on this box, it was on this box, came with this sticker, came with yeah. this offer extended. You know, you could do hours and hours and hours just dedicated to one figure but i'm so glad that we've had ron and we've had alex on and we've had the variant villains giving us their expertise on this absolutely fantastic stunning handsome creature from our cantina Hoth Rebel Soldier, Rebel Troopers. Drawn from many home worlds and species, Rebel Troopers were the Alliance's frontline soldiers in the war against the Empire. They defended the Alliance's leaders on countless worlds and during many operations, changing uniforms and tactics to meet each challenge. And obviously this little chappy was on a snowy environment, so he's got a little scarf on. Uh, that is the Hoth Rebel Soldier. And um, if I was going to do an Empire Strikes Back focus... This would be my choice of figure. I love it. You love it. I love it. Thanks for that, Stu. Craig, Lee, have you got a lot of love for this figure? Is this the figure everyone loves? I actually think it's really underrated. It was a great army builder as a kid. 
you could go straight out into the snow at Christmas, have about a dozen of these up against an atta, and you'd have the time of your life. Okay, it's a generic, it's a generic army building figure, but still, I think it was the first rebel soldier we had. I always wanted, as a kid, the black and white helmeted rebel fleet trooper, but this was the first bona fide rebel soldier we had, and I loved it. That and the Imperial Commander in the Lukov. Yeah, I, uh, sorry, Rebel Commander in the Lukov. I, um, I had loads of fun with that as a kid. Yeah, I had this figure as a kid. He was, I think he's one of my first Empire figures, and I've always had a soft spot for for Hoth. So any all of all of those those Hoth characters, I I, I really enjoyed. But it's you know talking about it's just jogged by memory. And this this little little story you talk about collecting stories sort of demonstrates my naivety as as I got back into the hobby. So you know this would have been really early days for me, and there was a little antique shop. Um, that I got wind was selling Star Wars figures. I had a lot of Star Wars figures as a kid. So I went over to this this shop in the next town and in the window was that they were all sitting down and them sitting down on a little kind of steps. So they weren't stood up, they're sitting down. And there were kind of all these kind of weird and wonderful figures that I'd never seen before. And amongst them was this Hoth Rebel soldier. But instead of being brown, he was blue. And I thought, I don't remember him. I've got to have him, you know, because if a man of man's a thing, and then the blue rebel soldier's going to be a thing too. And it wasn't until I got him home and studied him that he'd been done with umbral. Uh, <laughs> kind of wish I'd kept him, but you think he probably went straight in the bin. So it sounds to me like we all love him. He, he's a popular character. I mean, I look at it, and I think part of the love for this is, yeah, I see it, I agree with all of your points. Army buildings, a rebel, you know, we all wanted rebels. We wanted the rebels from the Tantive. This was the first thing which we had. But I also love the card art. I really like the card oh. art. I think the detail, the, the weapon system behind it, radar, cannon, but the, the light blue, the skyline against the sort of Norwegian or the Hoth, <laughs> Hoth landscape. I think with the Empire logo, it's, it's a stunning looking card. Absolutely, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And one of the things that was always a mystery to me as a child was why was the Imperial Attack Base an Imperial Attack Base? It was clearly Echo Base. When I was a kid, I just used to fill my, my what I'm going to call Echo Base, the Imperial Attack Base, with with those Rebel Soldier figures. Yeah, they, they were great. They were great. And I, I think I had something like six or seven of them by the end. Good for you. Nice one. I had about six or seven of them. So it's like my first attempt at army building a little bit. Yeah, why not? So this came out then, from a, from a Kenner point of view, came out on the uh, ESB 31B, the 32A, onto the 41s, and then the 45, 47, 48, 48C, which incidentally, as I'm just going to pause for breath, 48C, my absolute favourite. I adore this one. This is the one with the free... Revenge of the Jedi sticker on it and it's the one with the light blue backing so the back of the card is it's absolutely wonderful it's just completely different and the fact that it's got the revenge sticker I adore and then yeah clearly the return of the Jedi is the 65s the 77s A and B so again not on power of force Palator year came out on the 30A so it's going to be obviously a very very popular uh, carded figure so it went through the range uh, the 30s, the 41s, the 45s, 
and then as well as the 45As, the ABs, the Bs, and then onto the C with the Return of the Jedi line. Moving on through the Return of the Jedi to the Tri-Logos. However, it's then when you go to Tracker, you see you've got Meccano, kind of Canada's as you can imagine. And then we move on to General Mills again, various different releases, Meccano, Return of the Jedi. And then you get to the PBP, more Clippers, and it moves on. In the last 12 years, by all accounts, one PBP Return of the Jedi 65A. So there are some particularly hard to find cards out there. The best thing I can do now is to track down a Hoth Rebel Soldier Focus Collector. A Hoth Fanatic. And I needed to go to Andy Golden. Here, my little friend. Don't be afraid. So I'm delighted to be joined by an absolute powerhouse in the Star Wars collecting world. Well, am- amongst other words, I'm sure there's other words they use to describe me. Yeah, Andy Golden. Andy, it's so great to have you here. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for asking, mate. I'm uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Good stuff. Quite warm, yeah. but but I'm all good. The last time I saw you was Echo Live. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and I know you came on. How was that event? For it was you? good, mate. Yeah, yeah, it was good. No, no Hoth Rebel Soldier good is there. Funnily enough, I didn't pick up any vintage Star Wars there, but I picked up some vintage Action Force. So I was committing blasphemy, mate, while I was there. But the trouble is, and I know we've had this discussion before, is because I've been collecting since well. So never stop since the 70s through the 80s, 90s, is you get to a point in your collection where you're only looking for certain, you know, little niche pieces or bits to upgrade. And the days of just going to shows like Echo and being able to pick up a load of stuff are long gone for us. We already, we've already been there and done it through the 80s and 90s when they were all a pound each. Mate, those were the days. <laughs> I mean, even when I started getting back into collecting again, Around about mm, 2009, I can still remember 99p figures on eBay. Yeah. I was picking up loads of figures. But back then, from that point of view, oh, mate, those those were the heydays. Good on you. Yeah. Oh, I can remember back probably when was this in the 90s when dealers were turning up at the Cheshunt shows and stuff with literally ex-shop stock boxes, Power of the Four stuff, everything, just slitting them open and selling them off for five reach, just out of the boxes, out of the shop stock boxes, just crazy times. If I could go back, I would have bought everything, and now I'd be retired in the Maldives. Hoff Rebel Soldier, mate. Everyone says that you're the man. You know, when it comes down to it, Hoff Rebel Soldier, you need to get Andy on. He's the Hoff Rebel Soldier man. Well, why? Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, it was... um, I just love, you know, I love Empire. Empire... Greatest film ever made. Just happens to be a Star Wars film, but the pacing, the music, the atmosphere, the believability of it, just the greatest film ever made. Possibly vying with Alien, but hey, that's another discussion. But Empire, yeah, fantastic. And the Hoth scenes to me as a kid, I used to love playing in the snow as we all did back then, because back then we actually got snow rather than 900 degree summers. So the Hoth scenes really resonated with me. It was snow. It was fun. It was totally believable. Those environments were immersive and you 100% believe them. 
you know, Hoth was just fleshed out as this inhospitable barren world where things survive, wampers, tauntauns, and here's these people trying to survive in it. And yeah, it's just amazing. They're just always captured by imagination. Yeah, I haven't really answered my question there, mate. <laughs> Hoth, yeah, Empire Strikes Back, get it. But why the Rebel Soldier? Why not Rebel Commander? You know, he's a bit of a dude. Well, I'll tell you what, actually, funny, there's a funny story connected to that. We'll get to that in a second with the Rebel Commander. But um, I think, the, um, for me, the Hoth Rebel Soldier, I just I just found this, the suits that little bit more involved, that little bit more intricate. And also, you've got a few different variations. You've got the ones in Echo, Echo Base, you've got the ones out in the trenches. And also, it harks back to those, if for those who can remember, the making of the ESB documentaries they did. And the classic ones in the trench where they're telling the, the troopers to show that it's got a kick and pull the rifle back and, and the thing's over there and yet this thing's got a real kick on it. And I just remember being fascinated by that behind the scenes and seeing all those guys out in Fincer and yeah, that that kind of captured it. But funnily enough, talking about the Hoth Rebel Commander, obviously one of the Hoth Rebel Commanders in there was played by John Ratzenberger, who people will know as Cliff Clavin from Cheers. Obviously, John's done a lot of things. Uh, younger guys on, and people will know him from Pixar, where he does a lot of the voices in there. But back through the 70s and 80s, he was doing lots of bit part gigs in the UK. So he's in like Superman, Empire Strikes Back, lots of these type of films. And funnily enough, as most of you all know, I'm a big prop collector. And literally about a month ago, I ended up getting Cliff Clavin's jacket from Cheers. I'm a big Cheers fan, um, and I've been looking for something recognisable, a proper costume from the series. And being a, a modern-day, present-world sort of series, most of the stuff is generic jeans, shirts, etc. But Cliff Clavin's costume, his jacket turned up the postal jacket. So I actually got that at an auction. And my friend, who a lot of you guys will know, Arno Grunberg, who's a huge, huge Star Wars collector, actually said, yep, yeah, you now have the most tentative rebel soldier prop known to man so <laughs> john ratzenberg's cliff clavin top so there is a real tentative link there to the hoth rebel so there you go dude that's brilliant but yeah for me it was that the rebel soldier they're the grunts they're the troops they're the ones on the ground they're the guys the cannon fodder but you always root for the cannon fodder and the underdogs so that was it for me nice i've, I've said this before as well because we would you know we're talking about this as a focus collector and I, I never really consider myself as a focus collector it's just from back in the day where we could put pick these things up you just ended up with multiples of things or different variants and it wasn't a sp specific kind of choice that i am going to focus on the hoth rebel soldier i just gravitated towards that and over the years you build up more and more and more pieces connected to it and all of a sudden you've got a focus collection whilst not being a focus collector it's just i think the technical term for it is a hoarder <laughs> And funnily enough as well, well, I mean, we'll probably get onto this, like, but you know, I collect props and I've got some Empire Strikes Back Hoth Rebel props, etc. But there's actually a friend of mine turned up a more or less complete costume um, a little while back. And funnily enough, the guy it came from was the guy who's on the card back. It was that actor. He was a Norwegian guy and he'd kept the costume. It wasn't the actual costume used on the card back. It was just one. They basically had a a pile of them out in Fincer and they'd swapped and changed. So he just ended up keeping one at the end of filming that he'd been in, out of, in and out of, but it wasn't that actual one, but it came from the guy who was on the card back. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I did get the opportunity to buy it, but as you can imagine, 
it was it was um yeah i i can stretch but there are limits <laughs> and it was like when the limits become where you can have that or another lamborghini well yeah then the limits are a bit too far well unfortunately i really can't imagine that conundrum ever being an issue with me <laughs> <laughs> but good on you lamborghini and, and you know honestly mate no and it's not like you know uh, it's not to, to get to that point. What I would have had to do would be liquidate things from my collection. And we've all said this, you know, as you build a collection, and it doesn't matter whether the collection's worth a pound or a million pound, does not matter. What you do is you sometimes you're forced with a decision where you have to liquidate pieces in your collection to bring other pieces in. And and I did consider it. I did think well, maybe I could move a few of the props along and Brit. But to be honest, I'm, I'm all about movies as a whole and the the trilogy as a whole and to me i'd rather have a nice broad spread than two or three key pinnacle pieces which is kind of like different to a lot of people who will just hone down their collection but me personally i want to show the whole gamut of what's done to make movies you know from behind the scenes action figures toys props artwork etc to me it's just the whole magic of movie making is what i love Mate, so as you know, I normally start off with the figures, going to carded figures, and we talk about, you know, beyond the toys and anything else. But yes. let's mix things up. <laughs> let's do it. Let's turn it on its head. Why not? You've been talking about props. Let's start with props and work backwards. How about that? Let's go crazy. Yes. Um, so let's go. So uh, in my collection, I have an original Hoth Trooper rifle. So nice. um, the big full sort of stocked rifle that I have, I have that. I have one of the Hoth Rebel pistols. I have Hoth Rebel gloves off of the suit. Um, Hoth Rebel goggles. Uh, and I have some John Mollo sketches with costume samples. So these are original John Mollo sketches. And lots of kind of artwork, things like storyboards and script pages, call sheets, things related to the Rebel soldier. And, and they've come from a vast array of sources over the years funnily enough the pistol came from australia that came from a stunt guy who basically moved out to australia and had just kept it after working on empire so that just kind of was in his trunk box of bits of movie bits he'd accrued over the years and he had one of the original pistols the but the end of the barrel was snapped off of it because it was fitting into the holster and I, if you know the ones i mean it's the ones with the world war one grenade finial on the end of it so the end is quite splayed out of course every time they try and put those into their pocket or into the holster absolutely no chance so a lot of those just has the ends smashed off of them just so they would fit into a holster so that's awesome i've come across a few weapons like that where the barrels are smashed off and funny enough it's not like damage on set it's been done deliberately so that they can be holstered weapons um so that they fit in so yeah that came from him the the gun uh the, the rifle came from a guy whose uncle was one of the production designers or worked with the production design department and funny i've had a great story from him he was him and his brother um their uncle had come home and said to them oh I'm working on the Star Wars movie and the two brothers having seen A New Hope are like no no there's only one Star Wars movie and the uncle's like no no there's another one coming out and these kids are like what really really so anyway later on in that week they get a call from their uncle who's like would you like to come and see it boys so he takes them down to Alstree where they get to wander around the Dagoba sets where they got to wander around all the Echo base sets no and clambering around and playing on it 
And then that weekend, um, funnily enough, it was towards the end of film and the uncle comes back and is like, boys, I've got you a present, come out to the car. And in the car, he's brought them back a Hoth Rebel rifle each to play with that was going to get smashed up um, after production. Um, so the kids had a Hoth Rebel rifle and yeah, but they kept them since they were nippers and one they wanted to keep one for themselves as kind of a memento at the time and i bought the other one off them so that's where that came from and funnily enough a friend of mine worked for the armorers and basically one of his jobs when he was a youngster there was actually smashing up a lot of the weapons that were used in star wars they were resin casts that were used for background weapons and as you know at that time there was no real value to them they couldn't really be used on any of the productions because they were spacified so you couldn't really use them in a world war ii movie and they were just taking up space with a lot of those weapons that were the resin stunts were actually smashed up and put in a skip so you imagine how much that skip would be worth nowadays if you could have got it oh, wow. yeah so that's where that came from the the glasses the, well, the goggles came from another crew guy and the, the funniest one was the, the gloves which i actually got at auction but the way they came out that was a woman who worked on Empire Strikes Back and she kept the Hoth Rebel gloves to use in her car for changing tyres and working on her car. So she just grabbed them at the time and was using them for vehicle maintenance. And over the years, she basically just taken them out of whichever car she had, chucked them in the new car and was using these Hoth Rebel gloves props from Empire Strikes Back for changing tyres and things like that, which is which is crazy, really, when you consider the value and historical importance of these pieces now. So, That's awesome. And, yeah, and paperwork from everywhere. The, the John Mollo sketches came from the big John Mollo auction that was at Bonhams. Um, that was nice. There were a couple of amazing folders of all John Mollo's sketch work. But in addition to that, there were some smaller pieces individual sketches with costume samples and things on and my friend who you guys know brandon allinger picked that lot up and we split out between us nice i don't think you do but I mean, do you have a large army? Is it? Is, I think you're more of a specialist, aren't you? Do, do you have a, a lot of Hoth Rebel soldiers? No, I don't. Funnily enough, I've got a few. I've obviously got my childhood were and a few that I've picked up in bulk lots and things. I do actually have, funnily enough, I've actually got Robert Watts's loose Hoth Rebel soldier, um, who was obviously the producer of Empire Strikes Back and Jedi and a lot of the Indiana Jones movies. But um, Robert, who's been to a few of the... Um, uh, Echo Base shows and things and signed and you know, a lot of you guys will know him but uh, years and years ago he, he had his collection which were, was basically given him by Lucasfilm as the producer he got bits and pieces and most of those were given to family kids and played with and, but he did have some stuff remaining in his collection and a friend of mine bought that uh, a lot of his collection and he knew I was into the Rebel Soldier so one day he's like here you go here's a present so I've got Robert Watts's original Kenner Hoth Rebel Soldier is in collection. Wow. Yeah, which is quite, yeah, it's quite cool. It's quite cool. It's not George Lucas's one, but it's pretty damn close and that works for me. <laughs> but yeah, so I've got a, a few and I've got a few a few like paint variations and things. Obviously a PBP one loose and the bootleg ones and bits like that. But um yeah, so but I haven't got like an army army. It's just a few nice select variants um, and paint errors and things. Um, 
Yeah, and Robert Watts's. Do you have many carded figures? Yeah, like like everybody. I'm not. I'm not a master. If you're looking for a font of all knowledge as to which back went with which and what, you're looking at the wrong guy. Because I'm a generalist on this, but I've probably got about probably forty or fifty carded versions of it. From yeah, I know a lot of you guys will know Brock, who um, had a massive collection of pre-production stuff and I bought one of his Don P. Huber salesman um, sign-off samples so I've got one of those in the collection obviously revenge proofs and things and um, transition stickered ones and god knows how many backs different types different kenners different palatoys 32 and upwards you know and um, yeah Troy logos and so many mate I lose track of what I've got <laughs> I have to have photos on my phone because if I'm at a show and I see one, I'm, I've got no idea where I've got it or not. So I have to quickly cross-reference against the phone to try and figure out which ones I've got and which ones I haven't. Well, do you know what, mate? That's quite a nice place to be in. I'll tell you one I haven't got. There's one I haven't got, which is obviously the Imperio Contrataca one, which <laughs> I think there's only like one in existence that's non that's off the card. So if anybody finds one of them out in Mexico and wants to sign me for 50 quid on your man, yeah, Imperial Contractico. I've never seen one of those. Never seen, never seen on Tracker. Yeah, good luck with that. No. I think there's there's the one example which is resealed, which is where they where these were kind of confirmed from. I think there's like two cards out there. Um, but yes, the chances of finding one of them is, is yeah, it's not going to happen. How about pre-production stuff? What, how, how are you getting on with pre-production? You know, you're a man, a man of many elements to this so uh, i'm sure you've come across a few pre-production items as well as the proof yes um yeah there's uh, the revenge proof there's that uh, sign off sample i've got a lot of pre- quite a lot of pre-production cards from the modern series you know from the hasbro versions of it that i've picked up at various celebrations and things um no first shots or anything like that i've got a couple of like unpainted heads and non-son welded ones from the factory and things like that but never got around or or basically they were all swept up by the time i started looking for um first shots or things like that or prototypes from the actual 3d version of the kenner action figure and most of them are in black hole collections and seldom see the light of day i did actually funny enough i'll tell you maybe should have got it at the time but um derek ho's friend greg we were at a celebration he had the the power of the force mock-up card for the hoth rebel soldier i think he was looking to get rid of at the time but it was at the time yeah, it was it wasn't cheap it was very very expensive at the time and a, probably more than the toy fair power of the force card mock-ups were going for at the time and it was just yeah it was a at the time it was a bridge too far maybe i should have pursued that one but no i didn't get that but but yeah i'm happy to have a few you know proof cards and a sign-off sample and a few little bits and pieces like that. that. That makes a nice little selection of pre-production items. Nice. So Star Wars Tracker is showing us a few Canadian cards, um, Meccano cards. Are there clippers? Yeah, this card, I've got a clipper one. Yeah, stashed somewhere, stashed away. The one I haven't got is the Squareback Meccano one, and I do need to get that. I've had a, there's a couple that have come up over the years, but they've always been either really badly damaged or resealed or off the car. There's, there's not yet, not that I've seen, been a, a reasonable, nice carded Squareback's Rebel Soldier at a reasonable price, <laughs> somewhere where you could, you know, make an offer and get it and. So that's one that's on my hit list is to pick that up. That'd be nice. 
I've got other square, but obviously just standard one, you know, your Benz, your Jawas, your things like that. But um, uh, a square back Meccano off Rebel Soldier is definitely on the hit list. Brilliant. Well, how about the Japanese Empire Strikes Back Poppy or Poppy, the Poppies? Have you got any of those? I've got a sealed one. Uh, well, I've got a sealed one, and I've got one which is literally opened, and all the bag is sealed. It's literally just you know, someone's opened it as a kid and put it back in a bag somewhere. But I again, I picked those up back in the day and was never really a problem. I've noticed those have started going a bit mad lately. So I think they're probably one of the easier foreign variants of the Hoth Rebel Soldier to pick up if you're looking for one, because you know the the carded ones from various countries are going crazy now and i think you can still pick a poppy up for kind of sub a thousand pounds but who knows for how much longer so there's your tip of the day go and pick go and buy poppies while you still can <laughs> brilliant at least you haven't got to worry about bubbles falling off of those little boxed items it, exactly yes yeah no bubble worry no bubble <laughs> and do you know what Phil, again this is going back in the day i mean when i first started building the collection at post being a kid and having them I, I specifically chose not to go for carded figures because of that worry. And everything else was so bountiful and so reasonable. I was kind of like, well, there's always that worry with a carded figure run of the bubbles going. So I know you always pick a few up because they were just so cheap back in the day, but it was something I never really focused on. Um, and yeah, and it's cost me a lot more to put a run together, <laughs> a full run of carded figures now than it would have done back in the day. So I should have done. And to, and to be fair, a lot of those carded figures now, I mean, what are we now? They're yeah, pushing 50 years old now, and they're still pretty good. There's a bit of yellow in, but there's lots of lots of my 12-backs that I've got that just look clear as crystal. And whilst I do take good care of them and they're in a room with no light, etc., I don't go to the extreme ends of the earth to protect them other than you know the normal sort of sensible procedures um, precautions and they still look pretty good so yeah who knows perhaps they'll outlive me but then again i'm very old so that's very likely when 900 years old you reach look as good you are not hmm? so how about the actors you uh so what we've got jack mckenzie um, he's often on the, on the scene. Have you have you met up with many of the actors, or, or have you got many autographs? Yeah, no, I've met a few a few of the the, the Hoth actors in and out. And to be honest, it's because I tend to be working either on a stall or in the background or with the prop store guys. You, you just get so used to hanging about with them. I'm kind of like. That blase is the wrong word. I don't want to say blase. It's like I've not specifically tracked the guys down because a lot of them I just meet in the pub, you know, afterwards or something like that, or we're wandering about. In fact, one of the the the, the, spoil, the most of horror film spoiling moments of my entire life is seeing uh, Doug Bradley was Pinhead from Hellraiser wandering around our bar at Christmas, drunk out of his head with a pair of Dealey boppers on. I'll never look at Hellraiser the same ever again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, No, I don't specifically go after the, the actor guys. Not really a big autograph, but the, the only time I do hunt for autographs is maybe if it complements a prop that I've got. But I've never been really been a big sort of meet and autography type guy so never been someone I've tracked and having said that obviously I've met and hung out with a lot of the guys who've worked on it and and to be fair to a man or woman they've been lovely really really nice people so I think sometimes you hear horror stories about never meet your heroes but I think if you're 
meeting them in a context where you're not throwing yourselves at them. They're usually pretty, pretty damn good with nice guys. Yeah, rule number one, isn't it? Just don't throw yourselves. <laughs> yeah, come on. Don't be taking them out. Be nice. Be kind. Don't be throwing yourselves at actors. Play it cool, Trig. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't run at a celebrity and throw autograph books at him. And, don't, and never get them to sign your name. Could you sign it, please, to Happy eBay Bidder? That never goes down well. Are you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler? You got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. It's lovely every time I get to chat to you. I always enjoy uh, when we uh, have a get-together, and I look forward to seeing you the next time, be it Farthest From or another collecting thing. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be at Echo this time, but I will look forward to our next social gathering, mate. And, uh, yeah, stay classy, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Yeah. All right, mate. Thanks for that. Say hello to everyone. Cheers, mate. mate. Take it easy. Station 3TA. We have spotted Imperial Walkers. Imperial Walkers. Now, he was talking about the Meccano Square card. So, yep, November 2016, there was a Meccano card. Hoth Rebel Soldier sold on Vectis for £744. Earlier that year, they had the PBP Return of the Jedi in Vectis for 2604 that's how rare these things are. Last seen, just sold once in the last 12 years, both of them in 2016. So good luck with that, Andy. Best of luck. And it was Jess Alashane is the name of the Norwegian whose uh, face it is, we think, appears on the card art. So yeah, Jess Alashane, you can check him out. That's who they've tracked down, was that particular rebel. And now, after all of that, we're going to move on to Jamie and Tom from the Variant Villains. They're going to talk to us all about this and why there is a particularly expensive blaster for that figure. Then ever since the beginning to keep the world spinning it takes all kinds of kinds of kinds all kinds of Hi Jez, it's Jamie from uh, Variant Villains. I'm here today with uh, Tom. Tom, how are you? Doing well, how are you? Excellent, thank you buddy. We're here to talk about the Rebel Soldier today. Can you tell me what are your first impressions of the figure? Absolutely, this is one of those figures that actually was one of the first 10 figures released for Empire. And honestly, my very first impression, even as a child, it was overlooked. It wasn't really a very exciting figure for me. But in hindsight, it's really the first good guy army builder, uh, the first you know one you could buy multiples of to kind of compete with your with your stormtroopers. And then on a you know on a quick glance, they seem all the same, but there's quite a few very interesting variants beyond just the simple factories. He's definitely very underrated, and you've just touched on it there. There really are a surprisingly large number of variants. Shall we get into some of the Kenner ones? Absolutely. So the three main factories smile. Unitoy and Cater, originally all produced with brown, tan, whatever color you want to call that, molded torsos with molded white limbs. Now, Cater interestingly changed that, the legs anyway, to a molded brown leg and painted the upper 
portion white. And that transition figure is quite difficult to find. And uh, I, I have spotted quite a few, and I know you have too. And I kind of think it uh, kind of very similar to the molded legs Han Hoth figure, similar type of situation, but I don't think it's a very well-known variant. Just delving into it a little bit more, all uh, Rebel Soldier figures came out in the 31B. Kader, as you say, put theirs out as a molded legs figure at first, but quickly transitioned to a painted one, um, and that ran through the rest of the era. Because it was a transition on the 31B, it means that there must have been only a very few figures that were made of it. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, hard to find, but not impossible, uh, and definitely one to look out for. And there's, you know, micro variants within that, which I don't want to get too far into. But Cater itself, I think, is one of the most interesting factory runs because, like, as you said, it did run right through the end. Uh, molded, then painted legs. And then the China uh, production was moved to China. So the raised bar with the China uh, stamp that you'll find. And then finally, the fully uh, blank bar Euro version or whatever you'd like to call it that was then produced and, and uh, ran through the end of the, the line. It's also interesting that that blank raised bar is often mistakenly called the Meccano figure. I've always heard of it described that way, thinking that's what it was. Then I realized the true, you know, Meccano figure. And that was, you know, a very subtle variation, but definitely a, a, a one you need to have. Smile, you know... Uh, Smile doesn't really have a whole lot of interest uh, as far as the variations within the figure itself, the small uh, C copyright on the on the COO stamp. But it is the only figure that the molds actually traveled over to Spain, which were then used for the dark brown boots, you know, PBP version of this figure. So that that mold is kind of one that only really went to two places. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really interesting that Smile didn't have a Noku variation of its own. And I guess it's because these moles traveled. Interesting. And then finally, we have the unit toy figure, which um, follows sort of the same same kind of uh, situation as Smile. However, as I mentioned earlier with Cater, Unitoy was one of the other uh, factories that uh, provided parts, you know, toy parts for the first incarnation of PBP, which was just the POC which was assembling or painting, you know, Asian produced uh, pieces. And you can find mixed versions. So you can find one that has uh, just cater parts, just unit toy parts, or a mixed version. And the easiest way to tell the difference is if it's cater produced, it's gonna have uh, white painted legs. And if it was a unit toy produced, it's gonna have the molded legs. And then the typical melt marks and other things you identify, but this is not a pop discussion, but just to know that there are two variants and also can have mixed parts between them. Cool. So you've talked about the POC variation. Should we get onto the most iconic Rebel Soldier variation? Oh, please, let's. <laughs> the, I, I've alluded to it, but the uh, it's probably my favorite version of it. The the PBP version with the, the dark brown boots, the dark brown torso, and either the pale or the pink painted face. And it's also made of the typical PVP hard plastic torso. And uh, one other thing that's really cool about this variation is that um, it can be found with the uh, metallic Bespin Blaster. The metallic Bespin Blaster is very hard to find and also quite expensive as a result. But fortunately, it only ever came with the white-faced variant of the um, Dark Brown Rebel Soldier. 
And the reasons behind this, we believe, are the metallic Bespin Blaster only came out in Spain, and the white face variant is the one that was found in Spain. The pink variant face was for export and was found on Trilogo figures. And to date, there hasn't really been an example found on a Trilogo card with a metallic Bespin Blaster. So that means only one. You only need to search for one, fortunately, because they are upwards of £300 now. Oh, easily. It's one I need, and uh, it's definitely not a priority. Is It's one of those things that I'll get it when I have to. <laughs> and there's one more foreign variant that we haven't touched on, and that's the Meccano. Do you want to yes, talk about save, that? save that for last. So Meccano is the basically Asian-produced version of the Unitoy mold for Meccano or French you know, sales, but would be found in other places in Europe as well. Finally, um, should we talk weapons? Absolutely. We've, we've mentioned the most iconic, which is the metallic PBP Bespin Blaster, but obviously the rest depend on who made them or where they were packaged. <laughs> we know it's the Bespin Blaster. It's M1 for Smile, M2 for Kaden, and M4 for Unitoy, and that's it. Simples. And all the uh, information for that, I guess, will be found on the Varian Villain website. That's where I would go to find it all, because honestly, I can't remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tom, it's been great to speak to you. Jez, thanks for having us. Until next time, see you later. £300 for a blaster? That is crazy business. Lads, thanks very much. You have heard from Andy and the Varian Villains. Now we've all said that we love this character, but tell me about it. What have you found for the Hoth Rebel Soldier? So Craig, you've got some stuff going on that you want to share with us. It's not beyond the toys, it's it's toys. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, you know, he features on a lot of box art, but, you know, I think there are two significant appearances. One on the Hoth Ice Planet Adventure set, with the, which is the cardboard background sort of based on the, the Land of the Jowers yeah. uh, playset from, from previously. And the other one, which, of course, was the Rebel Command Center Adventure Set. So there, to give them their proper names. But the Rebel Soldier appears as illustrations on both of these backdrops. So on the Rebel Command Center, he's there on a tauntaun. And you can see a couple of couple of soldiers in the background fiddling around with, with a crate, like background characters have a want to do and then in the um the hoth ice plant adventure set lovely little drawing lovely little detail of uh, of a guy in the trench firing a cannon yeah i'm liking all of those images that hoth soldier on the tauntaun looks brilliant it looks like he's really got that tauntaun under control and he's sort of leaning back into it and he's he's comfortable in his stance and it's just like yeah hoth rebel soldier totally in control and yeah loving that and the hoth ice planet as you said that's one of the adventure sets that I've not really looked at too much. You know, I, I, they haven't really come across my sort of field of view that much. Have you guys got these? Have you, have you seen these out and about? I've got the Hoth Ice Planet. It was the first playset I bought when I get back into collecting. I think it's a fairly overlooked playset, to be fair. I think that on the Rebel Command Centre, I really like the Rebel Command Centre. And it's one of those, at the later... Land of the Jawas derivative playsets that I wouldn't actually mind having. Can I give you a little fact about my Half-Ice Planet? Please yeah. do. I bought it off Andy Goulding. 
<laughs> your oh, guess. Really? Yeah. They are great. I think uh, Lee's nailed it there. I've never owned the command center. Or it's a CS exclusive, wasn't it? So mm. it's it's a little it's a little tougher to find generally than the um, hot ice planet. That backdrop is beautiful, isn't it? It is really yeah, lovely. It's really nice. The box is gorgeous. I own both, and I have to say, it wasn't until taking on this challenge of finding background rebel soldiers to to bring to the table tonight that I noticed the one in the trench underneath the Atat. I mean, he's a little bit obscured on the box, isn't he, by by the action figures, but he's he's definitely there. And there's also a um, a nice breakdown of the original art on the on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. It's worth a look. Yeah, again, plenty on the archive, including some some sort of four ups and the elements of the pre-production. But I want to go back to the Echo Bay. So, which is the one then with the Hoth trooper on the Tauntaun? You've got the Falcon in the background, some X wings, snow speeders. So that's the Rebel Command Center yeah. adventure set. See, that's interesting from my point of view. Now looking at this, I know I said before about when we were doing the Kenobi show about their lack of sort of health and safety notice boards and, and things which they've got in the Death Star. And I'm particularly impressed that they've sort of carved out this base in a cave where they're still struggling and, and things aren't quite right and they've got ice melting and going into Leah's luggage and all of her clothes are wet and, and it's still sort of, you know, a bit rough and ready. However, they found the time to beautifully put up a row of halogen lights which have been sort of equidistantly placed, you know, apart from each other. It's really beautifully done and uh yeah they, they they've done a great job in their cave haven't they bearing in mind that it's just a, a temporary structure they really have mm. well, those rebels they're, they're very very good aren't they <laughs> kraken finds of course when i say finds kraken spots some kraken toys for this hoth rebel soldier keep it coming before you move off the toys then jez yeah you've also got the figure carry case which he's bang in the middle of different bloke it's got a nice little tash going on standing in front of the uh the turret yeah i love these boxes yeah they are good aren't they what's also interesting as well is that the 1986 concept line also has the hoth rebel soldier emblazoned on the uh on the concept photos so it's the line extension presentation binder of the Rebel SRV-1 Scout and Retrieval Vehicle. And it has a a nice photo from that binder with our Rebel soldier friend sitting on the top turret. And it's it's kind of a very cool, very cool piece. I think I think it's actually based, don't get don't quote me on this, but I think it may be based around a GI a GI Joe vehicle. Right, okay. Yep, makes sense. Wouldn't surprise me. There's more micro. So the micro collection, the Hoth worlds, I mean, they're, they're in abundance. You know, they must be into double figures, all the little uh, little posable or little posed uh, rebel soldiers that came in that line. You've got the ion cannon, the Hoth world. You've got it all going on, haven't you? It's all going on. Sticking with little little representations of the Hoth rebel soldier, we've, we had two kits npc kits i think ethics did them in in the uk so we had the snap together kits which was the rebel base and the battle on ice planet hoff and both of those 
feature the the soldiers on the box art in the illustrations but also in photography but also tiny teeny tiny little representations of that uh, of those soldiers which is just lovely absolutely right you know it pains me to say that andy golden didn't mention any of these so i just think he needs to love star wars more it's not a pop fan is he but I think, you know, I was surprised how many actual, because a lot of these things you kind of go, well, there's a picture of him in this and there's a picture of him in that. So that's actually quite a few figural 3D representations of that of that character, of those characters. Yeah. The old deck officer is really, really prominent, isn't he? Yeah, brilliant. I'm loving this stuff. Obviously, lots of sort of print executions and and, you know, particularly like the transfer sets. So the... Uh, Letterset didn't produce transfer sets for retail for the Empire Strikes Back era for that movie, but they did do two promotions with a promotion with Dairy Lee Cheese. So there was an in-pack Letterset sheet that you could get and rub down onto the back of the box. There's also a mail away, like a bumper pack, they called it, which had three scenes, like a little triptych of scenes from um, from the Empire Strikes Back. And the, the little rebel soldiers appear in both of those. And there's just a couple more. If you'll indulge me. Absolutely, go for it. Yeah, so we've got the Franklin Roth bag, the zip-up bag, which features, again, a shot from the trenches with a big explosion in the background, one of of their range of of Empire bags. But, you know, again, interesting that they they chose that shot. Obviously, they did bags with all the main characters, but nice to see those soldiers represented on a bag. And then my (laughs) my final offering, and then I'll shut up, is this super deep cut so check this out which is the the empire strikes back r2d2 and c3po latch rug kit <laughs> loving this can you describe <laughs> it please so these are, i think we were denied these in the uk i certainly have no recollection of them from this era or anybody who had one but these are kits where you you make rugs out of wool to a pattern, and there are a number of these. And this is this is one that features R2D2 and C3PO. Lovely kind of representation of them in tuft, I guess, weave. I don't know. I don't know what the word is to describe the rug itself. But there's a really unusual shot that appears on the box, which is C3PO being followed by R2D2 as they banter their way through the corridors of Echo Base and. To the uh, right of the image, there's a there's a rebel soldier in his little gilet, in his little beige gilet, doing something. I mean, the photograph I've got is very low resolution. I can't quite see what he's doing, but that's definitely a rebel soldier, isn't it? Love it, Craig. That's awesome. Where are we finding these? Have, have you seen any record of, of this particular thing being sold recently? I mean, I've, I've not never seen, seen this. I mean, I've seen the I've seen the rug kits come up. I've never seen this one. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously it's it's on the archive, so it exists. I sound like Jocasta, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but here's an image for you. We're we're looking at this hook rug, the 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 cover now, where you've got three PO, R two, and then you've got the rubber soldier. It looks like he's peeing into a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ruined that image for you now forever. But no, it no, looks. It, it does look like he's been caught short and he's just like, well, they're only droids. And uh, he's just having a pee into a bucket. So, there we go. Don't mind me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rude. 
<laughs> there we go. Brilliant. It's be an £80 spot fine for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's one thing that's definitely worth of, worthy of note in terms of Rebel soldiers, and that's the Power of the Force proof card that is sitting on the archive. And that is an absolutely spectacular piece. Absolutely spectacular piece with a completely different type of punch hole and a different placement. Like many proof cards, it has a square bottom and rounded rounded top. And it's just a shame that it was never released because it is an absolute gorgeous, gorgeous piece. It really is. And um, it frames the Rebel Soldier really nicely with the single silver racetrack and the red-orange backing. Yeah, I just think aesthetically it's a really lovely piece. And I think that's definitely something that uh, should be mentioned if we're, if we're talking about some of the really higher-end, more spectacular Rebel Soldier pieces. Brilliant, yeah, absolutely. What I do like about this Power of the Force one is the angle of the photo art is different. You get to see more Rebel Soldiers. You get to see yeah. him and his buddy and then stuff going on in the background. It's, yeah. it's really good. Oh, what a missed opportunity. That would have been great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Cool. Excellent. Guys, I think that's the Rebel Soldier complete. Do you? Yeah, that's all I've got. Craig, Stu? Yes, sir. Amazing. Okay, let's move on. Scout, more modernly known as the uh, Scout Trooper. In the Star Wars lore, these were specially trained stormtroopers from the Imperial Imperial Army Stormtrooper Corps, and they were used by the Galactic Empire mostly for reconnaissance. They had much lighter armor and they were much more maneuverable and agile than standard stormtroopers, and they were much more like their urban, urban counterparts, the patrol troopers. What's interesting about this? When I was a kid and the first wave of Return of the Jedi figures were coming out, I hadn't seen the movie by this point yet. If we all remember, going to the cinema to actually see movies half the time, trying to get parents to take you and to go with you and sit two hours through a Star Wars film was far harder than than you might imagine these days, you know. So the film was out. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it on opening night or anything like that. So the figures had landed. I hadn't seen the movie. And so my first introduction to Return of the Jedi initially was what I was seeing in magazines and what I was seeing in poster magazines and, of course, the action figures. And so one of the first action figures that I saw in the shops was the Biker Scout. And I was totally blown away by the design of it. You know, how it had echoes of the original Stormtrooper, it had echoes of the ATAT driver. But again, it was just completely different with this with this kind of oblong face mask that was running down. And it looked to know the just the action shot on the front of the card 
was just really powerful and really captivated me as a kid. So that first appeared in 83, debuted on a 65 back in wave one, and that made quite a few were quite a few different cards as we'll probably talk about later there's lots of bootlegs actually for the biker scout what's interesting is we see the hungarian bootleg the mexican south american bootlegs with the um with in the kind of cheaper plastic the polish bootlegs had a lot of biker scouts and what you would find with the polish bootlegs is that they would use biker scout limbs for all the other characters and of course there is the model trem biker scouts we never saw a news aid biker scout, which would have been brilliant. A news aid biker scout would have been absolutely fantastic. From my perspective, biker scout is probably, I think it's probably close to being my favourite Return of the Jedi figure, actually, along with Luke Jedi. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Do you know what, mate? I think I'm in agreement with you. And actually now, looking back and reflecting on the figures which we've got tonight... We've got a great mix, haven't we? You know, we've already been talking about Hot Rebel Soldier, but moving into this, yeah, again. And I think it is that, for me, it's the TV advert. Yeah. That yeah. TV advert, you know, yeah. we, we've we got the biker scout, yeah. we've got the speeder bike. It was the action. It was just, I don't know, there was just something going, about it. Going through the legs of the chairs. Yeah. Jedi, the death-defying speeder bike chase. The speeder bikes battle it out with these terrific Star Wars models. Adjustable cannon, manually operated speed flaps, breakaway front end. Who will triumph in this daredevil race against all odds? Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. Yeah. absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant it was the you know the energy behind this we'll come on to the card art we'll come on to the to the actual art itself of of the sort of left hand side of the uh, biker scout the right hand side because they were using this artwork tremendously and it was incredibly effective just giving so much energy enthusiasm and joy i just absolutely loved it so i'm totally on board with what you're saying i think you know, to, to Lee's point about how they were merchant, well, how they were promoting Return of the Jedi, this was the next Stormtrooper evolution. You know, we'd seen the original one, we'd seen the the Hoth Snowtroopers, and then this was the new guy. And I just remember being absolutely captivated by the design. Uh, and it's one of those figures that you just had to have the the the, the bike to go with it, no question. Yeah. I remember feeling a little bit like that with the Attack Driver, but but this guy, you know, he was inseparable from the ship that you had to go and buy separately. Yeah, it's the speeder bike was one of the best toys Kenner ever made. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was technically at the same price point and the same and the same sort of size as the mini rigs, but in terms of play value and design, it was absolutely incredible. It really, it really is. I think pound for pound, one of the best Star Wars toys of the entire line. Completely agree. Looking at my childhood one now with childhood biker scout on it and it still stands up now to you know as in it can stand up against 2022 toys and and everything else it's just it's an outstanding concept really really well done and the imagination the engineering how they've taken what was in the movie and how it was all working with the pedals with the gears and everything else and crafted this it's been so well done 
the explosion feature as well, just absolutely priceless. And it still works brilliantly. I think it's uh, I, I think it's telling that when Kenner brought back the Power of the Force 2 line in 95, that they just used the old moulds from, from the speeder bike to just reissue it in a slightly, slightly upgened, slightly upticked paint job. But essentially, it was the same toy because, well, what would be the point in, uh, in redesigning it? Because it was brilliant. It was ahead of its time. And I think a lot of people don't give credit to Kenny of how good some of those later era Jedi toys were. You know, the designs, the sculpts, I think some of them are absolutely fantastic. Some of the last 15 figures, and I'm going to say last 15, not last 17, I think are great. I think that I think that some of the best work that Kenner did. There was many different cards as well, many different card back variations that we also saw with biker scouts as well. So we saw Palatoy, Kenner Canada, Meccano, Klepper, PBP, and Lily Leddy with the small mouth variation. And we also saw that on the on some of the later made in Mexico can of cards as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the one which takes the biscuit with regards to types, various different types of carded types. On, on Tracker alone, there's 22. So yeah, mate, you, you've listed almost all of them there, I think. As you said, you've got the Secuda as well as an option. Secuda, yeah. Quite hard to find. Again, I've gone back 10 years, 12 years or so. So there's uh, there's been two Secuda ones. But this is one which I, th- I was like, hang on a second. No, that's very, very strange. As well as the Clippers. Uh, you know, so we've got the Belgians. We've got Power of the Force as well. So this did come out on a Power of the Force. Yeah. It's saying here, now according to Tracker, that there is a Clipper Return of the Jedi 70A. is also known as a hybrid, Trilogo hybrid. So as you know, you, you've seen that with the with the best bin security guards, with Snaggletooth, with Greedo, with Hammerhead, with uh, Cloud Car Pilot. You know, the, these are the hybrid ones. And I'm looking at the front, and it's a Return of the Jedi front with a Clipper sticker, and a Tri Logo rear with a Clipper sticker. And I've just wow. checked the Palatoy Cardbacks uh, first edition. You know, the Echo Base Palatoy guide, which was put together last year or so. And it doesn't feature in there at all, but there is, yeah, there's two of these sold on Tracker. Now, if I Are both clear... of them Clipper? Both yeah. Both of them have the, have the Clipper sticker on them. So both of them, well, according to this, it shows you one image, but says two have been sold. So Clipper, Return of the Jedi, 70A. So you can see the Tri logo on the rear. One was sold in 2017 in the Netherlands. A Clipper, a ten of a Jedi, seventy A on eBay, Netherlands eBay, four hundred and eleven pounds, and then one was sold at Vectis. So you never know; this could have been the same one. Neither of these are graded, and it was sold at Vectis. Yeah, one year and two months later, sold at Vectis, and it achieved eight hundred and forty-three pounds. But I haven't seen one of those before. And, and it doesn't appear that they're actually written down anywhere. Is the front with, with the age ranges, are, are they multilingual as well? Much like we get with the trilog- with the other trilogue. No. Which is really strange because that's the obvious tell, isn't it, for a regular trilogue. 
But what this is showing, now I need to maybe contact Jared or, or see if we can find out more about this, but it's showing that the front of the card is a Kenner card, which is even more intriguing. So this is a Kenner card with the uh, black rectangle with white circle with black text on it, the standard sort of Jedi clipper front that you would see. But then when you look at the second photograph, which accompanies that on tracker, the rear of the card is a um, is the Trilogo, is the 78. That's so incredible. Whether or not that, that there's a mistake made, I, I don't know how that's done. We don't know how those cards have been constructed or put together, but I would love to know more about that. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, the 65... The sixty-five, the Palatine sixty-five back front. If if we were going to be looking at at a hybrid, I would have expected the front to look like a, a sort of a sixty-five back hybrid, uh, sixty-five back Palatine front. Yeah, but certainly absolutely. with the Kenner, with with the Kenner front. I mean, that's completely different cardstock as well. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different cardstock, and yet it's got a seventy-A trilogo rear to it. That is strange. That is weird, isn't it? That so, is yeah, strange. Might have to dig into that a little bit more. And if anyone knows any more information, please let us know. Now is a perfect opportunity for us to go over and speak to Will and Mark of the Variant Villains, which is going to be giving us a little bit of information on the Bikers Go. Over to Will. He's going to tell us a little bit about the Biker Scout. Biker Scout. Really cool figure. Who wasn't at school riding around on their bikes thinking they were a Biker Scout around the woods? Produced by four factories, Cada, uh, Taiwan, Unitoy, and Leddy. Cada mould then travelled, went to Macau, Meccano, and onto PBP. PBP is quite distinct. Comes with a harder plastic. Lady, probably the most distinct. Gateway into variants, to be honest. Really distinct. Comes with a shorter nose. It's it's true, isn't it? There's, I mean, a lot of people will uh, dismiss variants unless you can actually see a difference. Back to the Rebel Soldier that we, we spoke about earlier. The more visible variants, the more people gravitate towards them because they feel like they're getting something for their money. It's not just like it's oh, it's a, it's a weird COO thing that you can't see anyway. I mean, the, the biker scout, you can actually see his nose is visibly shorter and it just stands out. There's something about the figure that just has that kind of aura about it and it stands him out from all the rest of them. Definitely. And then you've got the Unitoy one as well, which comes with skinny legs, uh, like bird legs, as the variant's called, which they are noticeably skinnier. Another standout variant. The, um, the blasters, you've got four different factory molds as well. And they're quite distinct. And they're quite distinct with the colours as well, especially with the PVP. It's a lot lighter and it's that hard plastic again. And it's a beautiful blaster. The other funny little fact with the Biker Scout is it was originally, I mean, the original name for the character was the Rocket Rider. Now, mm. um, that's sort of known in, in more film circles, but there is actually a connection. There's a, there's a QC sample, which is a quality control sample baggie. These would have been some of the first figures ever produced. They were bagged up. They were labelled so you knew which factory they were from. Qualidux. Qualidux is a CADA subsidiary. It's sort of within that that overall group. It's one of their smaller factories that produced, um, you know, in parallel to China, but they did smaller runs. So a lot of the rarer variants in the Jedi era came from the Qualidux factory, which is a Macau-based 
factory that was owned by Kader. The bag that I referred to earlier has the initials R.R, Rocket Rider. As I say, another interesting fact with the uh, Biker Scout is on the Leddy figures, you were talking about mold cavity stamps earlier, and you get uh, mold cavity stamps not only on the weapons itself, so on the handle you can get like a blank uh, A, B, C, D and E stamped on it, but also on the heel of the figure itself as well, it has a cavity stamp there as well, numbers one to eight, if you look closely enough. Okay, so they stamped the cavities on the back of the legs. That's all to do with quality control. If there was any failures in um, a particular uh, a particular part of the mold, like say it wasn't ejecting the you know the plastic part cleanly, or if there was some debris in there or something like that, having stamps in the cavities is a way of them getting a shortcut. Instead of having to look through all different four cavities, um, they could just go right. I can see that number three has some debris in it, and it's not um, you know it's not ejecting cleanly. So we can go through straight to it and clean it up, back on the press again, and off we go. So, you know, whether it's sabers or whether it's blasters or whether it's, you know, on the inside of the torsos, you'll see um, quite often the Kader figures will have a K stamped on them, like C-3PO and Chewbacca, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the Liddy Leddy, um, made in Mexico line, a lot of them have an LL stamped on them. And all this was to do with, with quality control. I think that's a, that's a wrap for the Biker Scout. So, the Rocket Rider. Never heard of that. Had you guys heard of the Rocket Rider before? Yeah. Nor had I. Rocket Rider. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much, the variant villains. We've already spoken a little bit about the uh, the actual speeder bike itself. But when it comes down to the, uh, to the biker skate, fellas, what else is out there? I take a punt that there is a hell of a lot. Well, there's the Biker Scout laser pistol, which is an absolutely fantastic piece. And it's definitely something which which I would definitely like to add. Have you ever seen one for sale and passed it up? I keep missing out on them. And it's, I do kind of want one, but I do keep missing out on them. And it's it's kind of me pulling the, pulling the trigger, to be honest. For no a pun intended. Mm, yeah, no pun intended. It's one of those where... I've got a lot of the other pistols, but it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get one because they're just really cool. And again, this comes down to the whole thing of like the later Jedi stuff is really underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I think the bootlegs are definitely uh, pretty ubiquitous for biker scout. They seem the bootleggers seem to really like the bike biker scout design for. Well, certainly in Poland for other for a lot of the other characters too. Yeah, you do see them a lot. Now you, now you mention it. <laughs> Not yeah. something I've made a study of, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and they're just nice. I mean, the other, the other thing that I really quite like as well is the John Menzies in-store poster that had the mock-up speeder bike emblazoned across the front with the front veins that have been placed in backwards, have been placed in upside down. <laughs> and I think that was, I think a few years back, that was actually tracked down. And I think it, I think it was Australia that was found. And that is actually, I think that's in a private collection now. But that is an absolutely amazing piece. I think that was a hand, I think that's obviously a hand-built mock-up. Yeah, this probably seems like a good time to bring up the boots diorama that was discussed on Facebook in the last week or two. 
Oh yes. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Let's let's describe what we got going on here, fellas. It's obviously been been kind of thrown together, but in a way, I really love them. I I love scenes like this, and I love seeing images yeah. of uh, these kind of almost bespoke, thrown together on the day photo shoots. You know. But did um, you say this was the Boots Christmas Guide or something? It was it the Boots de- 1983 Christmas catalogue. Yeah. I mean, it looks Christmassy. <laughs> it really does, because what we've got here is an indoor scene, and instead of the big sort of redwood trees behind it, you've got a sort of Norwegian spruce or, or something. It, it's looking very Christmassy already, just looking at that. And then in this sort of low ground, in, in, the, in the foreground there, it's all white looks quite hoth-like so you've got all the things which you would associate with christmas there you know trees snow etc people gathering around happen to be battling so it's advertising scout walker lots of assorted figures but in particular star wars speeder bike four pounds 95 stunning isn't it it's a great picture there with uh, luke jedi battling with darth yeah is that just the um, Endor bunker in the background behind the thing? It's not another toy, is it? I can't really make it out. I think it's an attempt at the Endor bunker. Mm. I think it's it's kind of been one of those things that are kind of thrown together. If you look at the old Waddington's jigsaw puzzles for the action figures, yeah. obviously they did too. If you look very carefully at the Tatooine diorama, the actual uh, moisture evaporator... It's actually got a Duplo brick in there. <laughs> you look very carefully, you can see it actually has a Duplo brick in there. Leo will be looking very carefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of these, I think a lot of these photographers, they literally just threw things together and it was very, very hokey. <laughs> I think what drew a lot of attention mm. on the chat when this got posted on Facebook was Biker Scout in the middle of the image and his knees yeah yeah so Where whether they... this was this was affected by the photographer and they heated his knees up and give them gave them a little bend but you can see on the image there that it, it, they look decidedly well not sticking out in front as they would be yeah definitely yeah. definitely and if they've done that that's really well done mm. not banana at all they probably actually cut a section, a V-section out of the back of the knee, pulled it back, and then glued it in place. Yeah, that's a, a standout feature, I think, of that, that particular yeah. Lovely. Yeah, multi-points of articulation there. <laughs> His bent knees at 90 degrees. Really, really cool. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that one. So right, before we move on, we'll just pause and acknowledge the pop-up artiditis, because by the time we get to that section... Can be tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> Great shout. There's R2D2. Nice. Right then. Yeah. Craig, you've got loads on this, I know, mate. So I'm just going to sit back. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, as we said, he was pushed quite heavily um, in the promotion of the film. So a lot of licensees latched on to um, good old Biker Scout. But I think we can, you know, I've tried to go through and make some sense of it. Okay. And I think it falls into a couple of categories. So we saw how the use of standardized clip art illustrations were creeping in to Star Wars merchandise when we discussed 
Dengar in the last show. So the same illustrations we used on the Tops cards and the Scanlight lampshade. You know, three years on, by the time Jedi comes around, the practice of providing pre-approved artwork to licensees was like properly in full swing. So a lot of sort of beyond the toys style biker scout items could be lumped into that category with the same sort of handful of bits of line art reproduced on a, on a whole range of items. So there were three key bits for, for the biker scout. So there's one of the, the bike scout on, in action on the bike from the side. There's one which is more of a front angle slightly from above and then there's one that you see a little bit less often which is just the bike scout standing on his own without the bike so if some of the items in this category feel a bit copy and pasted it's because they are so there's a whole load of them which you know when you see them you know you you recognize the the, the lineage uh, and where all of this stuff comes from the same kind of bit of clip art basically so they it appeared on t-shirts sweatshirts belt buckles hallmark invites stickers from drawing board the 50 foot kite that spectra made bradley time stopwatch and there's some nice particularly nice bits of pre-production artwork on um on the on the archive that looks at the speed bike clock that uses this this artwork and the best appearance is on one of the burton's biscuits so actually printed on the biscuits yeah. you'll find this piece of artwork so and i think a lot of you know as we go through these shows a lot of jedi merchandise will, will fall into this this category and because the way that they were marketing and the way that they were merchandising things was maturing and becoming more like we see it today where everything kind of looks the same. Well, Craig, I think at this stage we need to also thank Clint yep. on Tantive because once again, Clint has been helping us out whilst we've been doing some research. He's been showing, I mean, I know that you're going through these, the ice cream collectible lid inserts. It just goes on and on and on. So some of the things which are going to be covering, we've we've taken from Tantive, which again, they've got it beautifully archived and really, really easy to see. But I mean, we can share some images with Will on our social medias. I remember personally the uh, the sticker album, which I know you've got. They dedicated a great deal of space to Biker Scout Peril. So again, the, the energy with the actual photograph and then the, the four-way sticker. Yeah, just the artist version on the right hand side of the speeder bike just brilliant it was it was such a banker wasn't it that they were putting this on stars magazines they were putting on t-shirts that kite in particular it is brilliant i absolutely love that but yeah whatever mate if there's anything in particular which fills your boots again this we could go on for hours couldn't we and and you're right we're not gonna <laughs> yeah all right well I, what i'll do is I'll, I'll quickly run through the kind of just some of the items and I, i'll pick maybe maybe three just to just to look at in a bit more detail how does how does that sound spot on all right okay so we've got things like the the the, uh, the transfer sets we've got lots of stationary items so we've got things like the hc ford fancy stationary box there's a nice unique piece of art on the on the front of that box stuart hall feature the uh, the biker's got quite a bit in portfolio book covers notebooks construction paper the canadian slurpy cups are particularly nice they've got two images of the uh, the biker scout in action on those we've got things like the spectrum cassette game we've got lots of fabrics and bedding that feature the the biker scout in, in quite you know quite a few numbers you know we've got illustrations in books like the ewok joined the fight book we've got biker scouts represented on the metal tins that uh, were made by 
Chen Industries, if you get that name right. So there's lots of that kind of stuff. There's some great physical recreation. So one of my favorite pieces of all time is the MPC Airfix kit of the bike. It is stunning. It's stunning. And, it, you know, we talk a lot about hot toys on the modern show. Have a closer look at this because it is just great. And if you get somebody who's got some talent to, to put one of these together and paint it, it is beautiful. It was also represented in the mirror kits, so these are the tiny little kits that we got half a ship that you put onto a mirror background and the mirror did the rest of the work for you. Sigma mug, Stuart. Yeah, just the one. There's a great yeah. mug as well. It is a lovely mug. Adam Joseph's rubber stamps. We've got prototypes for the micro collection when they were planning army builder packs for, for Endor. There's so much. So I'm just going to pick two, three, just, just to sort of to discuss in a bit more detail. And the first one I want to talk about is the Marvel cover art that was used on the, the Return of the Jedi annual, which Dan, who's not on calls tonight, he put into the group. And I saw it, I thought, yes, that is such a beautiful piece. And it pictures Luke in the middle of a composition, made a helmet in the background, as his father course, heroes and villains around the place. But in the bottom left-hand corner is just the greatest rendering of, of a biker scout posing with his gun like he's taking aim but when you look at it again it's vaguely familiar is anyone getting vibes from this image so it's good old boba fat it is indeed so it's clearly the artist who behind this work bill sankovitz has taken some inspiration from that very famous uh, promotional shot of of, of Fett stood there stock still taking aim with his blaster, which is interesting. I like things like that. Yeah, Biker Scout stood upright with his weapon system just up there in it. He can't quite get his hel- helmet down into the uh, scope, but yes, that is exactly it. Who spotted that? That was Dan. Good spot, Dan. You haven't even bothered to change the carbine. <laughs> it's just the same Boba Fett carbine. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm liking that. Liking that a lot. Cool, cool. So the other piece I want to just spend a little bit of time on is something I walk past every day. It's on. It lives on my hallway, on the stairs, and it's the quad poster, the UK quad poster for Return of the Jedi. Now this is interesting, right? And I, I'm really keen to get your view on this or what you've heard about this so there are two versions of this poster one version features a montage of our heroes a lot going on we've got an emperor's royal guard on there we've got bib fortuna we've got yoda we've got lando fighting a skiff guard we've got the droids we've got leia and uh and, and chewy big explosion gamorian guards boba fett death stars a whole lot beautiful beautiful images right in the middle right in the middle is this image the biker scout zooming out towards the viewer. So that's one version of the poster. The other version is much more stripped back. So it's it's the same composition, but a lot of those characters are missing. And in their place, there's an Ewok. Okay. So I've heard two versions of this. So one clearly precedes the other. And the version, one of the versions I've heard is that the original poster was the one with the Ewok, the, the stripped back one. And that was released first, but it was considered that it wasn't 
selling the movie enough. It wasn't lively, lively enough. There wasn't enough action. There wasn't enough characters. So it was it was reworked to be the slightly brighter, the slightly busier version of the poster. The other version of the story I've heard is the other way around, and that the original version was the one with all the characters, all the colour, the big explosion, but it was considered to be a bit violent. The explosion was a bit too sort of angry and the things that were going on, and that the that image was subsequently changed for the slightly softer one that brought in the Ewok. Now, both of them are plausible. I think the latter of that of those two scenarios is is the correct one. So I think the the Ewok one came first and it, it got embellished. But there's there's sort of the plausibility of this idea that you know the Ewoks have, were kept very much under wraps. And you know, once the movie was out and it was in, enjoying its run, it was okay to reveal that. And when you think about how they were pushing the Ewoks at that time with all the plushes and the, the animations in the works, kind of has a ring of plausibility to it as well. So I'm very keen to know if you guys know of this variation and whether you know which of these stories is is the truth. My feeling is, is that the latter will be the first with the Biker Scouts. Mm-hmm as they were holding back the design of the Ewoks ahead of that, why would they have blanked out the Ewoks on the back of the 65 back cards? Yep. Very, very rational argument. Yeah, see, that's what I would have gone with. But again, the thing is, so you're saying, Lee, that so the one with the Ewok is after the sort of cat's out of the bag. The Ewok is out of the woods. So why have they chosen that Ewok? It's weird, isn't it? You'd think that they would choose Wicket or an identifiable one, one of the ones which was released as a figure. I think, to be honest with you, they probably saw them all as just space bears. <laughs> yeah. And they, and, they, and they, you know, I mean, we're laughing, but it's. I think that's the way they saw them, that, mm. they, were, that they were kind of, they were interchangeable. You know, and I and I think when I was a kid, I I saw the Ewoks as pretty interchangeable. The thing which I still struggle with this, and we spoke about this when we did the trailers episode for the OT, mm. is you've got Han there. <laughs> you know, at the end of Empire, Han was taken off in Carbonite. Oh no, are we ever going to see him again? You know, they're going to go and try and rescue him. You go to the cinema, you haven't even seen the movie yet. Han's in there holding a blaster. Han's all right then. You know, so they, they didn't really hide Han, which I thought was disappointing. But there we go. Craig, what, which one have you got? Just remind me. So I've got I've got the one that doesn't have the Ewok. And I know for a fact that the Ewok one is rarer. But whether it's rarer because it was at the start of the run and got pulled quickly, or whether it's rarer because it came at the end of the run and things are fizzling out and they didn't do as many. I mean, both of these scenarios... You can argue for and against, and I've seen you know listings on poster, you know reputable poster companies that that say you know that the the Ewok Ewok one came first. So it's it's interesting, and it's probably a little bit of a diversion away from our main topic. So I'm going to bring it back on track and drop in my last image, and this is my biker scout mic drop moment. This is the single most amazing representation of this character you will ever see from the vintage era and it comes from the happy house word puzzle book now these 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 this series of books is full of great material 
that's slightly to the left of center, slightly interesting interpretations of our favorite characters and the scenarios that they found themselves in. But I'll just pause for a moment while you take this image in. So this is a licensed image. This was signed off by somebody official. <laughs> okay. All right. Should we break this image down? Yep. We're okay, so this is <laughs> this is a scene from the Endor battle, and in this scene we've got a number of little Ewoks who are fighting off the Imperials. Front and center of the image is is Han Solo. Is there, is there a name for that maneuver? He's sort of kicking a biker scout firmly in the stomach. With his, I think with... I think in Taekwondo you'd call that a push kick. A push kick. Thank you, Lee. So, so we've got Han Solo push kicking uh, a distressed looking biker scout with his quite an angry, violent looking situation going on. He's got his fist clenched. Below him, we've got uh, an Ewok sort of windmilling into a stormtrooper uh, with, a, with a biker scout to his left. A couple of Ewoks stabbing with spears. We've got a legit back of a stormtrooper in the foreground. In the back at the, uh, at the right hand side, what have we got there, Lee? We got Chewbacca fighting Bausch. <laughs> no, you, you haven't. You've got Scott from Team Wolf fighting <laughs> Bausch. So that that's not Chewbacca. That is a that's a werewolf man, and that's I'm Scott just, from Team Wolf. I'm just trying to take this in. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. There is. I'm looking, I'm looking at the proportion of the arms. And like, like how short the arms are and how small the hands are. I mean, I feel like I'm looking at Donald Trump. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, what? What? Whoa. That's Stormtrooper crossing his arms at the front. Right. There's no sense of, of like depth or perspective in that. Wow. It looks like some crazy bootleg from some far off land. But this is amazing. a legit. This is a legit piece of artwork from. It's amazing. A publisher, and I haven't even mentioned the back of the Emperor's Royal Guard scrapping with those Ewoks in the top right. Yeah. <laughs> or the bombless Ewok. <laughs> There's been no mention of the bombless Ewok. That's the elephant in the front room. Is yeah. the bombless Ewok. So there you go. This concludes my roundup of a biker scout ephemera i mean there's a whole lot more well i'll cram some stuff into the enhanced uh, as we as we're talking so uh, go over there check out all the bits we haven't mentioned i'll i'll shoe on it in somehow but there's a, a wealth of material and i think this is for me sits at the top of the pile that is that is something else but what a way what a way to end it well i say, I end say it. the biker scout bottom left he looks really forlorn like it's really sad to be in this picture. Yeah. Well, you know, if if you want to add this to your collection, very readily available. It's one of the unloved items of the whole vintage era. That you'll get it for under a tenner. Yeah. So just remind us, was it Happy, so Happy House? Happy House, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi word puzzle book. It's the one with Princess Leia and uh, and Wicket on the cover. Brilliant. Let's talk about O2D2, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things, all the bad things that made me.
SR2 units. Let's talk about R2. Let's talk about R2 D2 with pop up lightsaber, not so much a character, but a retooled figure based on one brief action in one brief scene. This, of course, being where R2 D2 plays a pivotal role in the rescue of Han Solo by jettisoning a newly constructed lightsaber to Luke Skywalker as he is about to walk the plank into the great pit of Carcoon. By the time of Return of the Jedi, R2 had been established as a handy Swiss Army knife style plot device whose impossible innards could conjure the right tool at exactly the right time. In A New Hope, we saw him record and replay holograms and also produce appendages that could access the Death Star computer, open doors, put out fires and repair X-Wings. In The Empire Strikes Back, he was shown to also have little gizmos to scan for life signs, navigate whilst underwater and create smoke screens. While Kenner initially thought a clicking head was action feature enough for Star Wars, R2 was upgraded to include a pull-out sensor scope for the Empire line, which, as we discussed in show 42, was actually based more on the periscope we see him using Dagobah rather than the little radar-style sensor scope that featured on the card back. R2's repertoire increased in Return of the Jedi to include an electric cattle prod, a drink-serving arm, electric chain cutters, and a circular saw. His dramatic on-screen lightsaber popping in Return of the Jedi begins with one of the blue panels in his dome retracting to reveal the top of the lightsaber hilt, which on Luke's signal is propelled several metres into the air to Luke's hand where it is ignited and swung into action. Kenner's recreation of this, while admittedly more impressive than the sensor scope, has a decidedly unhidden truncated lightsaber that limply reveals more of itself as R2's head is rotated. We can debate the play value of the toy, and whilst R2's lightsaber pop is a cool moment in a much bigger sequence of moving parts, Lucasfilm didn't prioritise it enough to capture any stills on set, and Kenner had to make do with an image of R2 being shot and frazzled outside the Endor bunker on the action figure's card back. Pop-up R2 is the only time the vintage Kenner line successfully made kids buy the same figure with a slight production tweak three times over which is a legacy that Hasbro proudly continue to build upon to this day. <laughs> Brilliant. Slightly harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Limp light to say, but I was like, oh, I love this. I love this. Oh, 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 yeah. I was comparing it to the actual, you know, movie yeah, moment. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're right. It was one of the first things I want to talk about, actually, the card art and the, the lack of decent representation. But guys, R2 pop up. Immediate thoughts. I shouldn't like it. I should hate it. I should think it. I should think it's the most overrated figure ever. But I kind of like it, and I don't know why. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Often one of the last figures that people need to complete a regular run of loose figures. I would say, forget your VCJ, forget your blue snaggletooth. People are going for the regular release, as you would have, be it in America, Australia, UK, Canada, wherever. For me, R2 is always one of the last, which, which people tend to need. It's painful. <laughs> it's a painful figure to, to need. I was totally there. It was the last one. I, it was the last one I ever bought by a span of about 10 years. <laughs> I'd never really? Yeah, I only bought it because I did that exhibition in the Neaton. I thought, oh, shit, I need one. 
but yeah it was never never really appealed and i already had two r2s so but you know, I, was, I get I was, it i totally get it i was lucky to land mine at the nec about ooh, four years ago for 150 quid that's good so love for the figure some reluctant love you could say but love for the figure <laughs> okay what else let's have a little look at this so card releases then so it came out as we said at the end the last 15 last 17 last 15 on power of the force so you've got your kenner then also on the tri logo so that came out on the tri logo the 70d card and also tri logo clipper and as well as that you had the glass leap and the droids so we have the droids version as well but actually from a sort of scarcity point of view i mean we know that these are the expensive ones we know that the lightsaber alone now is commanding a significant amount of money and that's what keeps the value up but when i look at this on tracker now and i'm going back over the last say 12 years or so we're saying power of the force carded figure 322 sold palatoy 46 glass leap 12 however clipper trilogo just three so certainly it seems that the clipper one particularly hard to find it, it is one of those ones which tends to just go up and up and up now i know that i got mine i got mine in around about 2011 and every now and then i was seeing a very crazy price it all of a sudden jumped from about 110 pound to 250 pound overnight and now we know that they're just going up and up and up and i just saw a carded version offered online earlier on for 1150 pound phenomenal for a last 17 production figure let's go straight to the variant villains with jamie and mark who are going to tell us about the various different variations and talk a little bit some conjecture about saber variants Jamie here from Variant Villains. I'm here with Mark. How are you, Mark? All right, buddy. So a lot of people know Mark from the Variant Villain website. They also know him from his focus series on Jabba's Court and the Variant Villains. He also has an amazing C3PO focus. But did you know that he's just finished the R2-D2 coup sheet and he's currently working on a figure focus for R2-D2 too? So who better to talk about today's R2 pop-up figure than Mark? Very kind of you, mate. Thank you. So let's talk pop-up R2 then. What are your initial thoughts of it? Is a, a very worthy upgrade, I think. R2-D2 was one of the, the characters that was lucky enough to actually have a few upgrades as he went along. Obviously, starting with Solid Dome and going through to the Sensorscope version. So pop-up version, to tie in with the scene from Return of the Jedi with the sail barge, he's an, a nice upgrade. The actual figure itself is, is being redone as well. It's not just like a, a, a slight modification. The whole... The whole sculpt of the, the figure was adjusted to accommodate the, the longer saber. So, you know, the pop-up figure comes with the, the green saber that slots in. You turn his head and it pops up. Yeah, so the actual, the, the sculpt itself, it's a different sculpt. It's sort of hollow. If you look through underneath, it's actually hollowed out, whereas the original one has just got a single uh, single cavity for the screw to go in. This is, um, they've, they've reworked it to try and um, incorporate this feature. So it is, from the ground up, a new 
a new R2D2 figure and uh, and an improved one in my opinion. So uh, who made it then and uh, which factory? Okay, nice and easy. Smile Factory did the pop-up R2D2, the Kenner version of the pop-up R2D2. He's he's a Power of the Force era figure. So the production at that stage had, you know, as with Anakin last series that we did, it had slowed down at that point. So they didn't need to produce as many. On top of which, the the factories themselves, Smile Factory, was a very, very um a very efficient, very high quality producer of the figures. So between those two things, they kept it to that one factory and didn't need to have multiple sources to be able to appease the market. Okay, mate, you touched on it there. It's the power of the force figure. I'm assuming 1985 as a result. Why does it have a 1977 coup? Right, so we're getting into patents at this stage. So the figure itself, the, uh, the outward look of the figure, it looks the same as the original r2d2 iterations so the actual look of the figure is the same so the patent remained the same so the copyright was intact so they could give it a 1977 now where this does get a bit trickier is can he use the same figure the same sculpt to produce the droids version which which came soon thereafter the droids version has a different look it matches in with much more with the aesthetic of the r2d2 in the cartoon so the the 85 is representative of the patent of the figure from the cartoon. So it's a different sticker and it's a different dome color and different legs. The actual figure looks different. So they needed to update the date stamp on it. So it's an 85. It's not like it's a whole new sculpt. It's just they, within the, the mold itself, they scratched out the 77 and they re-stamped in an 85. Uh, you touched on it there, there's a second variant. It's a pretty expensive figure. Please tell me that's the end of it. There's nothing more to collect, is there? The figure itself, even though there was only one factory, there's no sort of paint or colour iterations. There was a, a, a sabre variation, which is you know slightly debated, but we'll get to that one. The major variation for this figure is later on, a few years later, um, in Brazil, the factory Glassley, they obtained the, the molds for a small number of characters, including Pop-Up R2-D2. So they produced a version of Pop-Up R2-D2 with, it's got a unique sticker. It looks sort of, it looks broadly the same. Um, it has a spray dome as opposed to a vacuum metalized dome. And they also did their version of the droids figure as well. So there's a unique saber which is specific to Glassley. There's a unique sticker. There's a unique dome. I mean, so now we've got the Kenner version of the regular figure. We've got the droids Kenner version. We've got the Glassley regular version, and then we've got the Glassley droids version. So to be completest for this specific figure, you're looking at four versions. Sounds like you're gonna need deep pockets for this one. <sighs> yeah, it's this is where it gets painful. The figure itself, I mean, as with all the last 17, they've just about doubled in the, since the pandemic has come and gone. And then on top of that, the glass-lit ones are just that much rarer again. And, you know, the demands for the roof for all this stuff. So it's none of it is cheap. So you, you're easily looking at a couple of thousand pounds to be able to get anywhere near a complete run of this sort of this figure, I'm afraid. And if you were collecting just one, what's your favourite version? I just think the original Kenner version. I mean, the... The, the 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 one with the chrome dome he matches in with the other archiditas that come before him but he's just got the you know he's just got these he's sabery just you know the color jumps out it's just a cool figure well, you touched on it earlier i know there's been a bit of chat on the groups about a non-epm version of the saber is it real is it re repro what's your version of this 
Well, there is a reproduction which is really close to the original R2-D2 saber. I believe that there is a legit non, no EPM, EPM being an ejector pin mold. It's the circle that leaves an impression in the plastic when it's ejected from the mold. There's a pin that pushes the actual plastic out of the mold cavity. And they have a slightly different sculpt, um, like a, a, a concave hilt on the, the saber as well. The, the color is slightly different in these ones. It looks to me as if there was a first batch that was done and they had some problems, whether it was, uh, you know, ejecting the plastic from the mold. The standard version of the saber with an EPM. That's the same one that the mold for that saber that traveled to Glassley as well. Their version of the saber is a really lime green sort of color. So it, it jumps out even further again. But as I say, that's not accepted by everybody. Wolf has some doubts about the original no EPM Kenner. On top of that, I mean, I addressed this in the guide, but there's been a few that have been found, you know, from fairly legit sources. I mean, I won't go through it all here, but yeah, there's enough to make me believe that it's actually a legit version. There you have it, Jess. Thanks very much for having us this week. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Nice one. So for getting carded figures, they're saying that there are four versions. Kenner, Kenner droids, Glassley, Glassley droids. And yeah, then you go on to try logo. Lads, thanks ever so much for coming on. That's brilliant. So, toys, beyond the toys. Where was R2 Pop-Up Saber? Or where should he have been? It was a challenge. There were lots of places I looked, I thought, well, he's got to be there. So obviously, things like the Thomas Salter sets, where there was a, a Jabba set, you can imagine there being an R2 and a... a and a saber hilt and a little stream of uh, to suggest that it's been projected no nothing you know lots of imagery of, of that scene where the skiff is in the foreground they're looking up at the sail barge you'd expect him to be there so things like again bedding there's a couple of cups with that image rendered beautifully you look closely Artu's not there on the deck he's not there with his little pop-up saber ready to go the battle at Sarlacc's pit and that's how it's called. That's what it's called. Sarlax Pit. The, the game by Parker. You would expect him to be there. He's neither in the game. He's not on the box. He's not on any of the instruction cards. So, you know, drawing a lot of blanks, really. He's not on Ralph McCory's concept arts on the portfolios of that of that scene. Yeah, lots of places he should be, but wasn't. Even, you know, even looked at the Marvel comic adaptation thinking, well, there's going to be some great image of that moment. And it's not. It's really flat. So... I drew a bit of a blank. I've got an, I've got three things that I might propose as sort of in the right ballpark for a for a pop up Jedi era R two, and I'll let you be the judge of of whether you'll let them in or not. Okay. I think beggars can't be choosers, so the chances <laughs> are they'll get let in. Okay, let me uh, let me just drag these up. So here's the first one. In the spirit of R2-D2 and things popping and extending, I give you the clip-along compass <laughs> by Craftmaster. Thumbs up or thumbs down? That's a stretch, man. It is a stretch. <laughs> Just, okay. a literally a stretch. <laughs> literally a stretch. So this okay. isn't a compass as in north, south, east and west. And it's a drawing compass. Mm. So it's it, it, it's it, it's a little plastic 
I don't know. I, I, it looks like it fits on top of another pen. It's got a, a sticker of of, of R two D two, and one of those extender arms. You know, like those comedy like boxing gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a scissor out, like a like a scissor lift that that creates a compass. So it's a sort of kind of pops out, kind of pops yeah. up. I thought it was close. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll 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 swiftly move on to my <laughs> to my next entry. So this is this this is the Sigma pop up scissors and pop out string dispenser. Where are we getting you there? This is pop up. So <laughs> the string the string pops out of his eye. Yeah. Right? <laughs> scissors are in his leg, and the scissors are in his leg. Has he got a hole on the top? Of it? Wait, I'm going to go and have a quick. No, because it came out of one of his little blue. Comes, comes out of his eye, doesn't it? I mean, mm, I'm going to be honest with you, Craig. If you're going to go down that route, you could literally put any R2-D2 item in there, can't you? Well, I wanted something that had something that came out of him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, my my final attempt at getting something past the jury is... It's just as tenuous, but, you know, it's there. It's inherent. I'm feeling this one's going to be good. It's it's R two in the pop up book. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think that's my favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can see how hard I've tried. Yeah. It's no. like dad puns. I I agree. Because it, it's been tough. It's been a tough old gig. I was looking on the collector's archive, and what did I find? I typed in R two D two pop. And I got R2-D2 Popsicle Stick Holder. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's not really it. And then the other one was R2-D2 Pop-Up Tidy. But that's from 1999, yeah. unfortunately. So, uh, I got it. It's nice. Yeah. Tricky, tricky darts, really, for uh, R2 Pop-Up. Come on, yeah, seriously. There's, there's a much for a focus, is there, really? No. There isn't much for a focus. I've just been having a quick look myself to see if there's any any original 85 Power of the Force artwork. And um, I'm coming up snake eyes, man. You know, it's um, there's nothing, nothing that I can see. Which is a real shame, to be honest. That's... Yeah. But as I said right at the start, it's a brief moment in a bigger scene. And it, when you look at R2-D2 in Return of the Jedi... He's he's often seen with his tray, serving drinks, but he's more often seen on Endor. Yeah, you know, out with Ewoks, and that you know that's what licensees were were pushing. You know, that's yeah. what was available to them, and they 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 were the key his key moments in in the film. So this little moment where he pops his lightsaber out is great for a toy with a, as a little action feature, but it's not something that I mean. People I, mean actually... what, I mean, even if you look at the actual coin that comes with the Power of the Force figure. That doesn't actually display the lightsaber either. So even the coin that's supposed to rec- that's supposed to accompany the figure, that doesn't have the lightsaber either. So there you go. This is tricky. And now you know, as I'm starting to produce these episodes and bring these together, I'm like, 
we really end on a rubbish one, don't we? <laughs> because we're just like, yeah, Warus Man, look at this, look at this. Interview, interview, interview. Lots of chat, lots of stuff. Hoth soldier. Amazing. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if we imagine if we ended on like Lumat. Or we yeah. ended on Imperial Dignitary. And I love Dignitary, right? But imagine if we ended on that. I know. You know what I mean? Okay, so mm. the weapon, what does it, what's it hold? Nothing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I might need to come up with my own sort of machete version of how we do those old fossils. <laughs> so, you know, you, you start with the sort of second one, then the third, then the fourth, and then you end up with like the, the earliest figure last, maybe. Who knows? I might have a, <laughs> I might have to have a rethink because this is the end of the show. <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting ones. Like, I think a man of man would be quite amusing. Mm. Yeah. But well, there there are a couple of things which I've seen on the Star Wars uh, Collector's Archive, the archive database. So you've got the Power of the Force um, pop-up chromalin. Yeah, that's great. Right. But it's the carded sample. See, earlier on we spoke about the uh, white cape Bib Fortuna on the Warus Man card. Well, they've been doing it again. So as they bring out the sort of latest line and the card's not ready, the card art's not ready, what we've got here is a first shot Power of the Force R2-D2 of pop-up lightsaber on a Rebel Commando card. So that, look, that looks really, really good. I'd and, like to uh, see that. I'll just pop this link in here for you. Ooh, so have a look. I should be able to read that. Have a little look at this badge. Oh, wow. Wow, that's killer. That's a great piece, that, isn't it? That is amazing. Who owns that? <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely that is sick. I have never seen that before. That is amazing. Looks great, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, after years, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's like... You, you can fall into little traps if you've been collecting a very, very long time where where nothing really shocks you anymore and nothing really kind of like, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's cool, but I've seen it before. And then something you've missed, something you've never seen comes along and you're just like, wow, that is amazing. And that kind of reminds me why I love this hobby. That reminds me, you know, that I can still be shocked. I can still be... You know, you know, I can still, I can still sort of uh, have that, that, that awe that I had when I was younger, when I was starting in this hobby. And to be honest, looking at that piece, that really is, uh, that really is one of those. That is amazing. That's a really good. Some people might look at that and go, "Yeah, miss card, nope." So that's known as, "Yep, yeah, sample carded R2 pop-up lightsaber yeah. on a commando yeah. card back with a first shot." So what a what a great way to almost end this section. So what I just wanted to finish with is how I came about to own my pop-up. Because, you know, we talk about sort of good luck stories and how things work out. Yeah, sort of hedge your bets and you just chance your arm. And I think the big thing is just talking to people, asking questions, just being a bit necky. And when I first got back to collecting my loose figures so this was probably around about 2010 maybe 2011 12 at the latest i was on ebay trying to get all my figures so this is when regular figures were 
99p you'd get some sort of last 15 figures for about 22 quid 25 quid and then uh, I was looking at a man a man I was looking again at a man a man online there was a guy selling a few last 15 figures and I said to him have you got any more have you got any others and R2D2 was on my list I said have you got any others and he's like yeah I've got an R2 I've got an R2 but the the uh, label's knackered. It almost looks like it's been burnt off. It's it's really, really bad. So so bad that I didn't want to list it. I haven't listed it. And I'm like, oh, did it did it have a lightsaber with it? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's got the lightsaber. Oh, all right, okay, I'm interested in that. Well, yeah, okay, I can't be bothered to list it. If you win any of my figures, I'll just throw it in. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I was absolutely determined to win that Amanaman. And I won the Amanaman for £35. And so it was complete Amanaman, £35. Lo and behold, R2-D2 with the sabre came with it. I was completely made up. So that was free. So then what I needed to do was I ended up buying another R2-D2, which had a repro, what did it have? So no, it, it was an R2-D2, which had a repro Sabre, but was an R2-D2 with a sticker, but all the money is in the Sabre. So this went and it went, I don't know, I think I bought it at the time for 50 quid or something like that. So then I took that R2-D2, put my original Sabre with that. So all original, all happy with that. Took my one, which came, which came with a really rubbishy sort of burnt-y sticker, but it was still there. Put that on eBay with a repro one. Pretty much sold it for exactly the same price I bought the other one for. Happy days. So um, that story came about by me just asking a question. You got any others? So it's always yeah. worth just asking every now and then. I was absolutely made up. As you can imagine, there's no way I wasn't going to win one of those figures. <laughs> Good story. Yeah, chuffed that. I'm, ne- you know, I'm looking at that little figure now, and uh, I'm always going to know. It's that part of the collecting journey, isn't it? Where we're like, oh yeah, I remember who I was when I got that figure. I love that it. That's cer- that certainly takes the pain out of buying a pop up party, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it certainly takes the pain out of it. It's nice to own horrible to buy. <laughs> we're at the end, aren't we? This is it. Yeah. Guys, thanks so, so much for sharing everything. A lot of work gone into that and a lot of people looking at various different things. It's been brilliant. It's been really good and it's definitely given me something for consideration with regards to the order, <laughs> maybe a new machete order for the delivery of these uh, sections. But reactions at the ready, all right? Reactions at the ready because now is the time. We now need to announce next month's figures, right? So which are we going to be doing <laughs> and in what order? And it's particularly funny, actually, bearing in mind what's just happened. But next month, we are going to be focusing on Darth Vader. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that reaction. We are going to be focusing on Darth Vader. And <clears throat> with that, we are also going to be focusing on the Emperor. Cool. Mm. we're also going to be focusing on the emperor's royal guard (gasps) it's one of my favorites 
Yeah. And I've got a lot of oddball items, which I own because I love it so much. I wonder if you can guess the last figure, the final four. Imperial Dignitary. It's Imperial Dignitary. <laughs> <laughs> and when Lee was saying his thing about, oh, yeah, imagine it would be terrible if you had to do the Imperial Dignitary. So we are going to be having a little think about actually, how we do this. There is a couple of bits of his. Yeah. And there is, there is a couple of oddballs. Considering I've just bought an Imperial Dignitary off Stu. You have, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, bought, I bought a card in Imperial Dignitary off you. I really like it. So we've got a total bad guys month next month. Darth, the Emperor, the Emperor's Royal Guard, and the Imperial Dignitary. Who wants to come on the show? Who do we need to get on the show? Who do you think should join us next month? Darth Vader. Emperor, Emperor's Royal Guard, and Imperial Dignitary. It could get so big next month that we have to break it down into two episodes rather than one. Who knows? Exciting times. You can contact us at generationskywalker at gmail.com. We are all over social media. We've got our own We Are Generation Skywalker Facebook group, which is fairly interactive. And we've got the Generation Skywalker Facebook community page, Generation Skywalker Instagram, and also a dedicated vintage collecting Instagram, which is gen.vintage.skywalker. Also got Generation Skywalker on TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter. YouTube in particular, covering all of our amazing enhanced podcasts, the unboxings, Skywalker Blasks, all sorts of stuff. All of this hosted at generationskywalker.com, where we've got a whole plethora of blogs as well. So all sorts, all eras, all passions, all Star Wars. So get in contact and see what you can do. Also, it'd be fantastic to get some voice messages from people. So feel free to send a voice message, either on Facebook or to generationskywalker at gmail.com. Now I must say thank you to Alex Party, Andy Rylos, Ron Salvatore, Mark Andrews, Jamie Acott, Will Mellish, and Tom John, plus Clint from Tantiv for all of his additional work. I mean, so many extra people contributing to this, but particular extra special thanks tonight on behalf of myself, Craig and Stu, go to you Lee for joining us this evening to be our guest host. Thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, this isn't a chore to me. This is this is always a, a lot of fun to talk to my friends and um, and just chat vintage, you know. The passion never goes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's goodbye from Craig. Cheerio. It's been a lot of fun. It's goodbye from Stu. See you later. And it's goodbye from Lee. Thank you for having me. It's been great. That's goodbye from me. We are Generation Skywalker. All eras, all passions, all Star Wars.